Create, connect, communicate. Create, connect, communicate. Magical, enigmatical, gift of gab, super, natural, story, from the space Come, well lit. Yeah, anyway, we'll we'll cut a lot of this out, but yeah, we'll go in a minute. Mocha's staring me down. Mocha's staring us down. <laughs> she is ready to go. You uh, go out of town, I'll dog sit for you. Oh, nice. Cool. Thank you. All right. Sounds good. So let's get this party started. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Good afternoon, humans and extraterrestrial beings. Welcome back to another episode of Firelight Chats. We are here in our Space Lab studios in Da'an, Taipei, Taiwan, sitting by the fireside, celebrating art and life, creating connections way out there, floating through constellations of space, time, politics, history, <laughs> culture everywhere, contemplating symbols, icons, everything, digging around the fuzzy light speed contours of near and distant memories and otherwise just freestyle, deep chatting with our very special guest, Jason Cole Major. Jason, welcome, and thank you for joining Mocha and I on another episode of Firelight Chats. Jesus, do I have to follow up that? Exactly. Now is your monologue. <laughs> Go. Good morning. How are you doing? You said you were a bit tired. Yeah. It is a good morning, but... Definitely burning it at both ends right now. Yeah. Um, lot going on. Don't recommend having a solo show and getting married in the same week. Not a good oh. idea. But uh, couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier. Like, I'm amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah, congratulations. That's, I think that's the top of the order right now is a big congratulations. Number one on the wedding and then number two on your first solo show. That's from right. what first I First solo in uh, Taiwan. Yep. Wow, nice. Thank you. I think I saw the uh, couple articles about you, Taiwan News and then... Taipei Times. And Taipei Times. Um, yeah, I did something with uh, SET News. Right. I saw that. Less than a year ago. That okay. Was, that was interesting. Yes. Jason has a solo exhibition at 99 Degree Art Center in yeah. Beitou. Right. Okay. It is going on from March 4th. I believe that was last Saturday until the end of this month, March 26th. So. If anyone is up here in Taipei or is coming up to Taipei or going up even a little bit higher up in the mountains in Beitou, please come check it out. It is called To Taiwan. Zhi Taiwan, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Playing with the word to kind of meaning uh, my own coming to Taiwan and then to as like a gift to Taiwan. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so you are actually a New York City-based artist. We share that in common. I was out in New York City for about a decade before coming out back out to Asia. Um, I think you have a similar story. So we'll get into New York City. We'll get into who the Jason was before that as well. Um, you have degrees from Hunter College, I believe, a MFA. Correct. Okay, and then also some studies as well at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Right, that's part of Tufts. 
Tufts, right? Exactly. And then SAIC, Oxbow, which I believe is in Michigan, right? That Right, right, right. <clears throat> the school's in Chicago, but they have a uh, kind of a summer program and they give about 10 of us three months room and board and just the freedom to make work. And after three months, you pretty much just lose your mind. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bizarre situation at the end. Yeah, it's in Sagatuck, yeah, right? It's beautiful. I mean, just crazy beautiful. Oh, really? Ideally, a great place to just chill out and make work. Right, but a little bit. <laughs> three a little months bit is a long time. <laughs> and you've got a lot of people who are just natural introverts. So mm. put us all together and uh, yeah, it's an interesting situation. Yes, and also Ohio, the Heron School of Art and Design, right? Yeah, yeah, that's in uh, Indianapolis. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was actually, it was Indiana University's art program and they moved it up to Indi- Indianapolis at some point. IU is based in Bloomington, but uh, the art program's up there in Indianapolis. Okay. And it's solely... Well, actually, they moved it back to a main campus recently, but it really was, when I was there, it was solely just an art school. So that's that's all you're around were fellow artists. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a beautiful old building. and They moved it to a main campus now. I haven't been out there since. Maybe before we get into kind of the deeper stuff about your solo exhibition, I would love to speak with you about your art, the art process and other kind of things. But maybe before that, could you give us a little bit of a background introduction of Jason Cole Major? <laughs> I grew up in Indiana. Went to a private high school, and uh, it didn't really cater to the arts very much. Uh, so I kind of found that on my own, and I found other kids there that uh, we ended up playing music together, started a band. I guess that was like the first part is like making me realize that creativity, you know, you could do something with this. It wasn't a hobby. That's a few years after high school, while I was attending college, my, everything was just into music and recording and touring. I suppose somewhere near the tail end of that was when I, I, I feel like I, you get to that age where I, I wanted the discipline. So that's when I just jumped back into going to art school. Um, a professor there saw some of my work and I didn't have to apply. They just like waved me in and <laughs> I felt awful about this. Uh, the semester that they waved me in, which I would have just been a full-time student, uh, one of my best friends at the time said, you want to go you know, backpacking across Europe? And it seemed a little reckless given that I had just got accepted in this program. So I called uh, the instructor. Her name was uh, Linda Delgoodine. She was a photo instructor. And she said, oh, Jesus, Jason, just go, 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 go. She's like, the school will be here when you get back. And God bless her. Mm. So I did that. And uh, so I was, I was going to go into the program as a photography major. Oh. And then, of course, you walk around Europe for a couple of months. And that's all we looked at was like architecture and painting. And when I came back, I was like, I want to paint. So I run into the halls with her maybe like two years later. And she's like, you became a fucking painter. <laughs> uh, she's good people. And uh, so, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I came back, it was just all painting and drawing, painting and drawing. So what was your portfolio to enter? Because you, you got I didn't way, have one. That's what I, was, like, I had just, I think, just to satisfy my parents. While I was doing the whole band thing, they're like, you got to be in school. So I was doing that and just taking, you know, like everyone else, philosophy, psychology, anything that the fucking liberal mind would, you know, take to avoid responsibility. Um, so that's what I was doing. But when I did, I, I took a photo and a drawing class, you know, um, they seemed interesting. And that immediately became natural. Like I was taking something that I thought, this is real, you know, right. sink my teeth into it. That's why I say I was such a jackass for as soon as the, like, she just waved me into the program. And what do I do? I'm like, I'm gonna go hike around for a while. Yeah. But she was super sweet about it. I came back and yeah. got back into it. So let's go back to the music. What kind of music were you into? Uh, I guess it was that trend when like hardcore shifted to melodic hardcore. Mm. Um, it was nobody called themselves an emo band back then, but it would be, I guess, what later people described it. Um, right. And I don't mean after the 2000 emo where, where like these like flowy haircuts. Um, 
you know, this was, I don't know, the mix of the post-punk scene and the hardcore scene. You know, we had a, a female singer, so you can always imagine it. She kind of like grounded the group, mm. even though the music was trying to be maybe aggressive and upbeat. Right. But it definitely wasn't pop music. It was not radio friendly. And, and none of us back then ever thought about making money. All the shows were $5 cover charge. There was no way to make money in this. And when you didn't really have that burden, you just enjoyed writing the yeah, music. Yeah, you just rock. Right. So, so, you know, we recorded a handful of seven inches and... I don't know. Like I said, after like touring with them for a while, and I mean, these were my best friends. Like there was, I can't even think, nobody fought in this band. We were just besties. But the singer and I both were more into art. And I think we kind of started getting really back into going to school and just somewhere at the end, I think, you know, it was like a big group hug of, yeah, this is over. Which is so funny because, you know, there's this weird 90s revival happening right now. The kids are all dressing 90s and whatever. It's cool. But I've been getting all these people that email me and they're finding like our old records in record stores and like they're super Ooh. into it. And like the most badass thing I've, I've seen heard. Somebody sent me a clip from a skate video. And I, I don't know. I grew up watching skate videos. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it had a song that was like, it didn't even make it to a record. It was just like a, a demo tape that we had made. And this dude's skating to a song that we had written back in maybe 1994 or something. And it was oh, just, yeah, it was so cool. Damn, you know? yeah, that's yeah, cool. It was really cool. Were you a skater? Were you a yeah. punk? What kind of uh, kind of category would you fit into back in high yeah, school? Yeah, yeah, we all skated. and you know, Yeah. I, no, no, I can't really say high school. So like anybody that knew me from like junior high would have said like, oh yeah, he's really into skating and punk music. When I went to high school, like I said, it was a private school. And I think I tried to kind of focus into the academic, but I just... Couldn't. didn't gel for me it was like high school was just socializing which right. i mean i suppose is fine socializing is a big part of you know growing up it was maybe the last year of high school like i said i, I found a couple of kids to start writing music and i kind of found myself again i wrote i was mostly just writing and yeah okay yeah the creative side yes that is some taipei ambiance tragedy outside. exactly <laughs> So you got into the school, a uh, very nice lady who also <laughs> yeah. set you free as well for right, a little right. bit. Yeah. So, so once you're there, you just have to do the whole foundation program. And like, you can't really claim what you're going to be. You're just doing that. But it was pretty clear right away that like painting, drawing was going to be my, you know, my jive. But you didn't have a background in painting and drawing at that time. You just kind of picked it up after this kind of inspiration in Europe. No more than anybody. I mean, everybody's doodling, you know, okay, maybe a little more than doodling, but right. no, no. I mean, I can tell you most of my high school friends, you know, anytime I come across them, they're like, we had no idea you used to make this stuff. And for me, I was like, I just didn't take it that seriously. Right. Like okay. I was always writing music throughout those years. But until I actually formed the band, people were like, I didn't even know you played music. But our, our, our school wasn't like the clicky cliche of like the 80s movies. Like there wasn't the jocks and the freaks and the... Right. Like, Letterman's everyone jackets. Everyone was just, yeah, everyone was cool with each other. My point is I didn't feel the need to identify as like mm. a music punk kid anymore. We were just, you know. Just Yeah, which I, it was a safer place to grow up when you hear all those stories where people are, you know, divided in high school and they have to like join a group or something. We just didn't have that. Right, right. The good old days. Yeah. <laughs> Everything looked like the breakfast club, right? Yeah, exactly. So what about this European backpacking trip? How long did this last? And was this kind of your first trip outside of... Yeah, yeah. It was just a couple of months. I mean, okay. I mean it, that doesn't seem like much now because like, you know, you, you and I were traveling here and you, you spend huge chunks of time. Uh, but as a kid, it, it meant a lot. And we really, really were roughing it. Uh, mm. you know, like we weren't staying. There was no hotels. It was hostels, sleeping on floors. I slept on a few benches in Italy. Just you didn't care. You're just so excited. And you were at that age where you could basically stay up for days. Yeah, that was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, it was just one museum after another. So where were you in Italy? And did you hit up any other countries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We landed in, landed in Heathrow. 
and then just pretty much bounced around there. We, we were super into the whole Manchester scene of the 90s, you know, the whole shoegaze and, you know, that whole thing. So we had to go up to Manchester and see the Hacienda, touch the front door. You know the, the, no, the, the tell, tell us No, oh, it's that. not worth it. It was, oh, yeah? you, okay. you can watch 24-hour party, people. It's a movie. Okay. <laughs> You'll figure it out. <laughs> Um, but anyways, it was just it, these you just find little landmarks as an excuse to go to the next town. Um, so then went to Ireland for a while, came back through and then just went through Netherlands, Germany. And, uh, you know, this was kind of the beginning of uh, IRC. Remember, like, mm, the, like, like so, okay. so we were using this to contact some kids. You know, there was no photos. There right. Was, you know, you were just like blindly contacting them. And since I had been in the band, a lot of these kids out there knew. So so we would just pop into a town and hang out with a kid for like a day and Oh, wow. It was really cool. It was really cool. Through IRC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How can we explain IRC? I to know. I know. I've tried. Because, I mean, versions of it had been around for a few years, even longer. But, like, there was, like, this moment before social media could even exist. Like, yeah. there just wasn't enough bandwidth for that to even exist. It's like dial-up modem speed. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, honestly, um, every single person we met was who they were. It was never, you know, just like, oh, what's it going to be? But no, everyone was, it was fucking cool. Yeah, you guys might have to look that up. Right, this right, is, right. Uh, chatting before yeah, yeah before yeah. whatsapp was yeah, the thing yeah. it would have it's later turned into like what instant AOL, messenger yeah, yeah instant exactly. messenger. So, so yeah. that was like the next level but even that you could at least have like an icon that was a blurry version of your face and you just true wanted to trust that's who that person was right, right, right. <laughs> but, um, so what is your kind of most lasting memory from this backpacking trip of yours Breaking up with my best friend, uh, my friend Michael. Michael and I went to undergrad, and we go to, and we end up eventually meeting back up and going to grad school together. Still, one of my best friends. But, oh, uh, we were uh, intensely vegetarian back then. Like a, a huge part of the punk scene was like, mm. very like pro animal rights. Yep. Um, so that, that was part of it. Anyways, I'd been walking around in my fake leather, you know, vegan shoes for months, and they were just falling apart. And I'm not proud of what I'm about to say, but I stole a pair of shoes. I like we had no money, so I went. I went in and uh, took my shoes off and put them in the box, and then walked out with the new ones. Oh, smooth! Yeah. Anyway, so when I go back, Michael looks down at my feet and he's like, "Are you wearing leather shoes?" And I was like, "Dude, my shoes are falling apart." I was like, "I need something proper," and we got into it, and I, I hopped on a, I hopped on a train and went to uh, Vienna. Oh and, no! And and, and and it was like a weird romantic ending because. The fighting was so brief, you know, we're best friends, but like, but nonetheless, we also have been kind of getting on each other's nerves, you know, we've been right. like, like traveling just, together. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It happens to anybody. Yep. But then he walked me to the train. We gave each other a big hug and that was scary as hell. Like, I don't know. I was, no I was 20. Way. I was 20. So I, I feel like kids now travel so much more, but like I was from the Midwest, like hopping on a train to Vienna, like that's a whole new world yeah, yeah, back it, then. It was scary, but totally exciting. And, right. Romantic music playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Slow Sorry, <Michael>. motion. <laughs> you and Michael. Right, 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 right. But you guys were able to reconcile. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a happy we're, ending. Yeah, 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 yeah. Been <laughs> friends for 20-some years. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, my grandma was ill, and I eventually came back to the States because she was kind of in her last uh, leg. Mm, okay. Uh, so, so now I, I came back, and then that was just like, all right, put all of everything you have here, this life experience and time to go to school. And, and I think that means a lot. You know, a lot of kids go to college because that's just what you do as soon as you graduate from high school. And they're not really prepared for it. Like they just, you know, like as an adult, they just really can't grab onto the information on how it's going to be useful to them in any way. But I was completely prepared and your instructors completely see it. You know, like my instructors immediately identified with series student. Um, and then, I mean, after that first 
year or so after the first year like we became best friends with a handful of the instructors we'd go out drinking and probably shouldn't say that but but that's awesome but but, but i mean College. to this day i'm still really really good friends with a few of these instructors exactly. uh, because like once once we were out of you know once the day is over with classes we'd all go out drinking and that person i was drinking with was no longer my professor they were a fellow artist mm-hmm. um, and there was this jazz club the chatterbox in indianapolis and yeah, yeah, my love for jazz music, that's where that really started. Oh, me and, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that, was, awesome. that was huge. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it made school was more than school. Like, you know, I had mentioned to you, like, the where we were going was only artist. Like, there, right. were, there were no other classes there if you had to, like, because we still obviously had to take, you know, you, you had to qualify for your maths and English, like, to graduate. Oh, yeah. So, we, but there was a campus we had to go to do that. But, like, our campus was just artist. You had your own little artist commune and then yeah, exactly academics over there. Yeah, it galvanized what, you know, we would become and it made you feel like you had like that strength to walk out in the world. And it's scary as hell being an artist. Mm -hmm. What was your art like back then? Because, you know, I read in a couple of the articles that, you know, you've had quite a long career and a lot of different changes also in your kind of trajectory or interest or other kind of things. So I'm curious, what about these early days? Yeah, when we were making the uh, the resume for the show, so, you know, people can see and like looking at one of my first shows was almost 30 years ago mm. and i just don't think i look that old right like, you I'm, don't I'm, I'm, <laughs> you look like, good baby it's like how long have i been doing this right uh, it was pretty common of like younger artists and younger artists obsessed with uh, copying nature so you know it's like you want to make the apple look like an apple like you get off on that and, and and it's a way of judging progress and that totally makes sense that that's an early stage in art development um and and, so and, and, and it's why stuff. later artists have an issue who like especially once you like evolve into abstraction why we have a hard time seeing some of this art that's just so celebrated for it just being technical and and that's all it is. Um, But that technical work sells really well because I think just, you know, be fair, people not growing up with an art background, they just see that as like, that must be good. You know, it looks like a thing that I can recognize in nature. Therefore it must be good. Mm. It's why, you know, abstraction is difficult to understand. Exactly. I mean, even in in writing, poetry, abstraction is difficult, you know, in any way. And it's why, you know, you have to have more of a dedicated reader Anyways, so so I kind of moved a bit away from uh, the real, maybe in my last year in my undergraduate, and I kind of wanted to explore the first level of abstraction is where you're still referencing nature. Mm. So I started maybe like zooming in on the body. Um, I, I made like a series of paintings that were just the belly button. Yeah. But these are large paintings, like two meters by two meters. Oh, wow. I can't even remember what that is in inches anymore. So like six foot by six foot, something, right. like, something like that. Um, so they're big, but the, all that, all the information is literally just a belly button. And then it just kind of fades out to the edges, like a kind of like a Rembrandt painting, like this, you know, warm amber colors. So you can kind of see that, right? Like yeah. that, that's like level one abstraction. Mm-hmm. You're still referencing nature, but you know, you've created something that somebody can walk up to and not maybe recognize it. Right. Not know that that's right. a not a black hole. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, you know, like the idea of like focusing on yourself, that phrase we say is navel gazing where yeah, someone's obsessed with themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, so the, no jokes like that kept coming up. So I wanted to look beyond that. And right, right around that time, uh, my father had a massive heart attack and had open heart surgery. Um, and he knows I'm a sicko. So he sent me photos of like the aftermath of this. So it's like this scar on his chest with like maybe 20 staples going down it. It's just gruesome wow um so i decided to make a series of drawings that are based on this so it's like essentially just a line going down but then there would be maybe 50 in a row 
And then it, it was, they, these, these were all charcoal. So it's okay. this black and white. So it, they would kind of shift between black and white, black and white. So it was, it was imitating breathing and the heartbeat. Oh, wow. So, so for me, there, it was like another level of abstraction where it's still referencing nature, but um, it, it had the element, some it, layers of abstraction in there. Right. But it had the element of time, which right. is really, really hard to do in drawing. Like unless True. you're trying to do some like Moybridge, you know, like this, like flashing images over and over. Cause that's kind of what it reminded me of. But again, I, I, I didn't include all the staples. I just would put one at the top, one at the bottom. So Nobody had an idea. What I had to tell them right. what this was. Explain so it. again, it was like even getting a little further into this abstraction where, I mean, in some ways that was more referential, but the final product was abstract. Right. Uh, How did that feel? Going into the ether of the unknown into a more and more abstraction. <laughs> it was cool. It was yeah. cool. It's where you want to go. I mean, and I, it's like a drug of dependency or something. I, I fell back a little and I started doing more uh, figure drawing again. Uh, mm. In my undergrad, I had also taught figure drawing. And then, then I did a little bit of that. When you do your MFA, you have to do some teaching as well. So I taught like painting and drawing. Uh, so I think that kind of brought me back into it. So I did like, I was doing some of these drawings that were mashups of fellow artists I knew. So it might be mm. like their face. And then I would take like these images of like me as a child. So it was just, you know, um, you probably can't find them online if you tried, but it was like a brief period. And I suppose this kind of enters where I'm going to start making work in Taiwan, even though this is maybe seven or eight years before that. I found these images, maybe I think uh, something was written in Taipei Times about this briefly, but essentially I found some of these images that my dad had sent me that were from my grandfather in World War II, and they had taken over a platoon. And it's not uncommon to form of reaping the spoils of war. You know, like they, they stole shit from them. Right, right. Um, and, and when one of Random them was, was all their armbands, like, you know, the swastika armbands and, wow. and they're just dicking around they're, They put them on, they drape the flag over their clearly U S Jeep, you know, it just says right. it right on the side. And then you have the, you know, the Nazi flag wow. uh, draped over it and their faces, while you can tell these are, you know, these kids have been in war, like, you know, they look a little gaunt, uh, but nonetheless, they're super happy. Like these are some happy kids, you know, um, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's symbols it, of propaganda. Yeah, yeah, I'll show you the picture some other time, but yeah. uh, it, it's, it's spooky. Um, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. So, yeah we, I showed Han when we were looking at this and like a lot of these images and he's like, that is just weird. And I didn't know how I could use this, but I knew somehow I wanted to do it. Like that these right. symbols sitting next to each other. You had the U.S. symbol and you had this, you know, German World War II symbols. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful symbol too, the yeah, swastika. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. even avoiding. Which is also word, like an <laughs> interesting symbol with the Buddhist. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is a huge thing. Most Westerners, when we come over here and especially if you have any like. Jewish family, would you see that? And, and we know what it is, but you just can't get past it because it's, a, it's on gates. Right. You know, like, like you're, to get through this door, you have the swastika. You know, it's running the other direction. Right. It's like now it seems so you know, harmless. And actually, like, you know, I can now see that as a positive image. But in doing this project back then, I, I messed around with these images. And after about like a year, I just I couldn't continue. It was just so mm. uncomfortable working with the swastika and right. trying to justify it and trying to explain to people that I'm not romanticizing this at all that I'm just kind of fascinated with tragedy. So, that, so that's a dead end. Hmm. Um, but the one thing that stuck were the idea of symbols. Mm. That, that somehow I'm no longer, I guess maybe with like the navels and the scars that I made, like I had turned those into symbols. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of artists do this. Like you, you know, like I could mention a handful of like things and you would say, you know the artist. I can say Campbell's Soup Can. Mm -hmm. Boom. Warhol. Yeah, you just, you know it. Exactly. So it's like artists are kind of always looking for their way to create symbols that they can identify with. And I don't mean that superficially. It's just, it's kind of a path you go down. I mean, this is then years later that I would eventually come here and this kind of all starts to gel. Like when wow. I start seeing these new symbols and, and I'm, a, I'm a big like history buff yeah. and it's hard to be a history buff and not also be kind of a war enthusiast. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> um, for like, sure. Like history is kind of defined by what came before and after. Exactly. Like, like, 
So, so incoming here, I mean, we're fast forwarding way forward here, but incoming here, then I started, you know, like reading up on the history and I'm, you know, you're seeing all of these uh, imperial, the rising sun flags. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you have the KMT flag over here. And then, you, so it's like, if these flags are moving around on maps as one person comes in and one goes out. And again, I didn't totally know what I wanted to do with this. And then like, fast forward. Uh, I start coming across things here that really connect with my history. Mm. Um, like I live really close to like on Jensan Nanlu. Mm. There's this wall that uh, these American soldiers were shot and they were shot a few days after the U.S. had bombed Longshan Temple. Mm. Um, and Longshan Temple, they were holding munitions and the, the Japanese did this. They hit a lot of things in temples thinking that they wouldn't get bombed. But, you know, word got out. So the U.S. bombed the shit out of it. And Longshan Temple is one of the oh. oldest temples here. Um, so like huge tragedy. And I made a painting that's kind of like mourning that, you know, it was kind of like an apology. So, so finding out that there's this little history here, cause I had family that fought in the Pacific theater as well. So there was just, you know, I was like, oh, weird. It's like, if you, you can imagine if a Taiwanese guy was walking down a street in France and saw a sign saying like three Taiwanese were shot here doing whatever. It's like, you, Whoa, yeah, 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 yeah. You like, want to dig wow, into that a little right. bit. Right. So it kind of sucked me in and I, so I start looking up more and then I start finding people like uh, Michael Hurst that runs the POW society here. Mm, okay. um, and we become friends and then he kind of opens me up to all these oh, other wow. local writers. Now it's like, I have access to all this like information that's like relating and uh, some of it even fell back to, you know, it's like the, the Dutch colonizing here uh, in Tainan, that was like the 18, uh, 1640s. Right, there. exactly, Hill Formosa. Right. 20 years before that, they had done the exact same thing in Manhattan. They created New Amsterdam. New Amsterdam, and exactly. Like, like this like funny little parallel that's happening there. And like, I mean, everybody was succumbing to colonization at that point because after the fall of Constantinople, they cut off the Silk Road mm -hmm. and everybody had to build ships to do all their shipping. And then came with that was like, well, hell, we'll just stay at these places and just take them over. Exactly. And like, so like all of that affected everyone. Um, so this this combination of history I just thought was so cool because yeah, I got to be honest, coming to Taiwan while well, I was super into it for other reasons, I didn't realize how our histories are really like intertwined. Mm, right. And that was super cool. And kind of that was like the go ahead for me. Like, huh. I, was, I was like, I'm going to make my work about this now. And like, even if you look at my Instagram, that's where it starts. I didn't even have an Instagram account until maybe like, I don't know, six years ago. So it was on my Instagram account looks like my whole art history is just this project. Right. But, you know, and you can go online and look at the older work. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Can we go back to, you had mentioned that your dad sent you those pictures of his own surgery right. um, because he knew that you were obsessed with tragedy. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just curious about that. Where do you think that comes from? Is there uh, a reason for that? Why are you obsessed with tragedy? I don't know, maybe not obsessed, but you know, <laughs> interested. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was always really encouraging when it came to like documentaries, mm. like war documentaries. And uh, my parents were divorced early and, uh, and it, it was, you know, peaceful. So, mm. you know, I'd spend some weekends with him and he like forced me to watch old black and white movies. Like mm. I was probably one of the few kids that was 12 years old that could talk about William Powell from like the 1930s movies, the Thin Man series. Wow. And, like, I was really into this stuff. I had a poster of William Powell when I was a kid and my friends like, why do you have a black and white poster of this? Like, what is <laughs> this? Yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm super into this. Like all this, like these old movies, you know, it's like, it was like a, a way to escape. Everyone's escapes through cinema. Right? But yeah. this, this was completely different for me. You know, like this wasn't watching the Goonies. <laughs> this was documentaries. Different. Yeah. So, so yeah, I guess that was it. My dad could see that. Like I was really into that. I don't know how that translates right to a massive wound on his chest. And right. you, you like to watch world war two documentaries, but something but there. It did. Guess, yeah. The connection so was made. Gruesome. <laughs> So when did you end up going to New York? Because that's a pretty big part of your life as well. 
Yeah, um, I guess I just kind of followed the academic trail. Once I finished my BFA, someone from the School Museum of Fine Arts, uh, part of Tufts, came out and was talking to some people and invited me to come out and do a post-baccalaureate year, which is kind of like an MFA, only it's just one intensive year. Actually, that naval series we were talking about, that's really where that developed, like that, okay. that shaking up of me trying to find abstraction. That, that was a, it was a useful year. That's what it did. It really created that. Hmm. Um, and I loved living in Boston. Um, so then I applied for the MFA program there, and I got in, but I also got in at Hunter. The instructor there was Nan Freeman. And hmm. bless her heart, she was, she's like, Jay's, and she's like, go to New York. Oh, <laughs> you know? nice. Um, so, that, yeah, that was pretty much that. Okay. So, so that came, maybe it was like, f- not that I want to go into this, but it was like four months before 9-11. So like you were there then? Or? No, I was in California, but I was working near in Century City in LA. They have actually a Twin Towers, which are much shorter. But mm-hmm. on that morning, I was supposed to go to work, but my boss called me and basically said, you don't need to come and work. But she was crying on the phone. Right. I was freaking out because it was like 4 a.m. You know, in California at that time, I had no idea why she's calling me. But that was, yeah, my connection to, yeah, I was right, right. on the my, West Coast. My, my parents were actually coming in that day. They were at the airport. They called me from the airport in Florida. Um, and she's like, something hit one of the towers and she made it seem like it might have been like uh, you know like a piper cub like the little like single like you know right, or like two seaters or something yeah, yeah yeah like it was just some guy flying and he you know had an accident and that's what we thought so i walked down i live maybe three blocks from the waterfront in brooklyn so i just walked down there and there's a few other people and you know you can see flames i was like that's you know that's not something small. Oh, and then damn. we sat there for maybe a half hour and then the second plane hit. And from the angle we were, we couldn't really see what that was. It was just all the explosion of it. Oh shit. So and you it, were watching it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, it's just when you knew you like something totally different is happening. Um, oh yeah. How did you feel? Sick. I mean, everyone just felt sick. And uh, I walked up the street cause I just wanted to go home so I could watch on TV to right. get the news. And when I'm walking back up this is on grand street in Williamsburg, mm. there was a Polish bar. This is what was that? Like nine in the morning, something. And yeah. This bar exactly. was pretty full. <laughs> Anyways, it was like a private a bar, bar though. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, basically. like it was just mostly all these old dudes, but I went in there clearly rattled and uh, they were telling me to get out. And the bartender, she's like, he wants to watch TV. Let him sit here. Like, she's like, he's clearly fucked up. Oh, um, damn. Could just, you know, right. So I sat in there and just watched TV for a little bit. And like, you know, it's like at that point, cell phones were useless. Yeah. So like my family kept trying to whatever. Obviously, my mom's like, yeah, we're going home and, you know, just stay close to the TV. And, and it's so depressing because it's, it's it was so a depressing. constant loop, too. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 Over and over. And it doesn't really get anywhere. There's a lot of speculation about what happened. But for, I mean, like almost days, you know, right. we had no idea. Right. Yeah, there's a British TV show called Peep Show. And like one of the jokes they make, they're like, that was good news. I mean, not it was a horrible tragedy, but like, my God, that was some good that news. Was, like, like you know, you're never going to get higher ratings, <laughs> like, which is awful, but that's what it was at a certain point. Yeah. We were watching this, and you're like, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. It yeah, was, it's good TV, right? But it's yeah. so terrible. Wow. No, it was awful. Yeah. Was just, and, you know, that night, you know, you get to a point where you're like, I have to go to bed, and you could see the downtown had no power. Mm. So it's like someplace that normally is just like, you know, overlit. It was just like a black hole, except for... Anyways, oh wow! So that <laughs> that was your welcome to New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but 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 New York City for a while was the friendliest place you could be. Mm-hmm. I mean, neighbors were your neighbors. True, especially right after the yeah, aftermath, right? Was, I don't know. And I mean, and I know a lot of other like the other kids in the grad program I was with, where like we would discuss it. And I was like, "Are you thinking about leaving here? Like, did this mess you up so much that you want to leave?" And most of us like, "No, I, I kind of feel like I'm more home here than you could ever imagine." Mm. It really did. It was like this like, tragedy. Together. Yeah, it made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
hundred percent. Yep. Strange. Wow. Okay. So, any other memories from this time at Hunter? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> it, it was a great program. Uh, you know, I met a handful of people, and I, I, I concluded yeah. I had a great solo show at uh, Brooklyn Fireproof during my last uh, semester there. Mm. So I kind of I went out thinking, my, you know, I'm gonna make it. Like, yeah. You know, like and then the reality comes in for artists. You graduate, you got your MFA, and then pretty much for the next six months, you're just saying, I have an MFA. And, you know, you're right. bragging about this, but you realize the street value of that is not worth what you thought it was. And then everybody starts looking for their side job. Mm -hmm. You're going to teach, you're going to, you know. Exactly. What was your solo show? Uh, I did a show called Bad Hair Day. Um, you can see this rabbit on my arm. So it's just. Oh, that one. Okay. Right. right. So, so it was, I, 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 I started day. doing a lot of video work at this point, but I still incorporated drawing in it. So it was okay. like a day in the life of me. So I get up, I jerk off, make some tea. Go have of breakfast, um, and then I go and I get this tattoo on my arm of this rabbit. Um, and constantly throughout this video, you're seeing images of this rabbit. Like I'll just blink it up, huh. uh, kind of like in like Fight Club with the Brad Pitt flickers. Right, you know? right, right, <laughs> so, right, right. So it was like that. I don't think that inspired me, but hey. <laughs> um, so then at some point, then I go to my studio, um, and then I draw the rabbit from my arm onto paper. So I'm like looking at my arm at this rabbit drawing it. So it's this idea of you know somebody drew this on me i draw it here but it's right. also just kind of a reality i was getting a lot of tattoos then so right it sounds so cheesy but, <laughs> but it was and then so then i get back on the train i meet up with a friend and you know in the video is us having some beers and then i walk home go to bed uh so so then that show was based on that the whole show was called bad hair day and then it was like hundreds of little drawings that i had done of this uh, rabbit i have a lot of friends that like think me of the rabbit band and i'd like this year when i, I made that painting that was for the uh to in the end the, the year the, the year rabbit, rabbit. yeah 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 so so they would look me up they're like this is your year <laughs> yeah, yeah. huh so where did that rabbit actually come from it was from a dutch painting i can't oh. remember okay who or yeah it was just something i had been looking through at that time so can i ask you about tattoos you are quite a bit tatted up definitely not the the most tatted guest our most tatted guest was chuck garcia a professional basketball player here in taiwan a two-time champion and he is tatted like from head to toe and and he's still not satisfied he said i'm not done yet <laughs> he wants his body as a canvas so what about you when was your first tattoo where is it is it visible or is it hiding in a my very first tattoo <laughs> i hate talking about this <laughs> my very first one was like a tribal tattoo that i got when i was in high school on spring break yeah don't talk about that right. <laughs> and, and 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 when i moved to new york uh, i was getting another tattoo done and the guy was like Jason, we're covering this fucking thing up. I don't even care. He's like, you're not paying. I'm just covering it. So like, it's this one that has this like heart kind of like oh, floating over it. You it can was see under the little, there. You can see the little tips of it. Yeah. yeah it's embarrassing. That's a great tattoo artist. He's like, no, we're taking care of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He took over. I, I don't know. I mean, I started getting him like much younger and like, I think I'm part of. Uh, How old were you? I was like 16, 17 when I got oh, that first one. Oh, damn. Right? Okay. But it was different back then. Like nobody walked in and said, give me a sleeve. Right. And people do that now. They yeah. like they'll get like a whole sleeve and so like we were definitely more like like all the tattoos I have like it's a lifetime. You know, yeah. it's like like every like you know little like pieces. I have, I've got one here that's the tiger from the Taiwanese flag. Oh, uh, yeah. Like the pseudo revolution in 1895. Right. Um, so on yes. your left shoulder. But but you know, I'm saying for us it's like you know when you see the uh, suitcases that have like the stickers on them or something it's like oh I went here I went here. Tattooing was that for me. Yeah, you know, it was right. Just like I would get like one every year that it kind of I don't want to say it meant something. I always hate when somebody says this is, this, you know, it means so much. I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just. Yeah, just souvenirs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 but they have enough of a memory that you could like relate to like a few stories around of course. it that are like, oh, no, it's because I was here doing this, yada, yada. 
Right. Okay. So, what is your most memorable tattoo? Give us one story from one tattoo. I, I've got a Picasso on my back. Oh, uh, it's uh, the old guitarist. Oh, everybody knows it. I nice. Mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had that done when I was in Prague. Okay. Um, oh, the guy just. I, I mean, I certainly. I don't know if you know. Czech is a pain in the ass. It's a oh, super really? difficult language. Like living in oh, like Czech close language. to Greenpoint, like picking up a little bit of Polish. Um, so there's a few words that can kind of like tukway, like you know, thank you, and like they sound somewhat similar. And mm. I just totally, you know, <laughs> screw that. That was horrible. <laughs> but 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 no, it's really. My point is, is like I learned a lot of like swear words because when he was doing this on my back, I, I just kept scooting forward, and he was just screaming at me, "Motherfucker, stop moving forward." <laughs> So it's not a great story, but, but, um, uh, after that, I then went to, uh, I don't know, within a few weeks I went to Barcelona and the weather was just kind of like getting nicer out. So I went out to the beach and then all these old dudes came up and were like applauding me for having a Picasso on my back. They thought yeah. it, was, it never even crossed my mind. Wow. But they thought that was super cool. And, and I just, tattoos back then seemed so different. Nobody I knew was getting a tattoo because they were a bad, you know, like there was nothing like that, but it was, it still was viewed that way. Mm. You know, like I remember my mom standing up for me in a grocery store when I was like 25, some woman was like shit talking us. And she's like, that you know, guy's a bad boy. She has something, but my mom yeah. turned around and she she's like, are you perfect? And Ooh, then like, I was damn. like, well done mom. Go mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool as fuck. But anyways, you know, like nobody thinks that way now. You could walk right. into a nice restaurant, you're all tattooed. They're like, I don't know, you're probably a celebrity. <laughs> exactly, so. exactly. Well, my buddy that I told you about before getting on the air, he was actually in Japan for a big basketball tournament. Um, but he was saying that the hosts of an onsen, uh, hot springs in Japan, they were telling all of the Filipino basketball players oh, that they right. couldn't go in yeah, because yeah. they had tats, right. which was a bit surprising to me because obviously, I mean, in Japan, that's a big thing for Japanese looking people or definitely Japanese. Right. With tattoos, but you wouldn't but think outsiders like they know. I couldn't believe they're still doing that. It yeah, was yeah. a bit of a countryside town. It wasn't Tokyo in the middle of Tokyo, but I was pretty shocked that that's still going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely got like a little shit when I was in Okinawa. Oh, I used you? to bounce to Okinawa for doing my visa jumps. Okay. So yeah. I used to like, it would be Okinawa or Hong Kong. Yeah. The visa runs. Yeah. I did not miss that. That was terrifying. Cause yeah. you come back into the airport and you thought you're that's a 50, sure. 50 chance. They're going to say, you know, you're welcome here, but can you come back in six months? Or exactly. like, you know, it's like, it's like, I have a toothbrush with me. I you know, know. <laughs> it's like, I'm not exactly All prepared to stay. To pay so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was, that was a scary time. That was before I had my visa here. Right. So, uh, yeah. Do you think you're going to get more tattoos? This is not the end, I guess. I have no plans. Zero. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in a year from now if something strikes me. Yeah, yeah. I Inspiration guess just, hits. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's not like a an accessory, like a like a cool pair of shoes or something. I guess. Right. Inspiration has to hit. Sure. Okay. Um, so there's also a story connecting New York City with Taiwan, right? About kind of the impetus or the inspiration for first deciding to kind of visit Taiwan. I believe it was something of a couch surfing story, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, tell about that. Yeah, after grad school, I was lucky, you know, I moved to Williamsburg before. And don't get me wrong, I'm part of the problem with Williamsburg. I'm part of a generation that moved there. But at least we were the early version where the only Hipsters. places we took over were like old warehouses. You know, we weren't displacing anybody. And for mm. the most part, because we were centered right between like the Hasidic neighborhood, the Puerto Rican and the Polish, we all got on real well because we're, you know, we're buying from their grocery stores, eating in their restaurants. And um, so it was, you know, it was pretty symbiotic. So you were there in the early days of Williamsburg. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, people consider the early days, I think, actually the early 90s. Like, it's weird to think it, I mean, it probably goes back even further, but as far as it being like a, a art, artist really. mecca, right. it, it was like, I guess the early 90s is like really when that was starting. Mm. But but yeah, I moved there, I think, just right at that point where it hadn't happened. Right. Giuliani was still in office. Okay. I mean, he had, you know, plans on developing everything in the Cleaning waterfront. The whole city, yeah. Right. Newark had all those plans. We're watching The Sopranos right now. So really into Jersey history. Oh, nice. <laughs> Anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> Williams. Oh, the couch surfing. Ah, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So eventually, like, my place is huge, but the, the landlords just keep raising the rent, raising the rent. And my landlord, God bless her, the, they were a Cuban family, and she was sweet as hell. And they only owned a few pieces of property. And those who know Williamsburg, they know where, like, the, the beer hall is on North 3rd and Barry. Mm-hmm. So they owned all that. And that used to just be, like, a bodega supply store. So you'd walk in and... You know, like you'd just be like rows and rows and rows of like potato chips and things that the bodegas would then come and buy. Um, so they just sat in there every day, like literally just sat in there. Her dad was this old dude, just sat there. He had a sidearm, like little pistol on Ooh. him. And like, you know, like, nice. Yeah, he didn't take shit. So we were just kind of renting directly from them. And my rent was like, I mean, expensive compared, but this was, you know, it was maybe it was 1200 bucks. Back oh, then. wow. And how many square feet? 1400. Oh, it's a big place. That's huge. Hence for New York. why you're going to hear me tell a story about renting part of it out yeah <laughs> uh, yeah 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 for like new york city that much space for it was it was an amazing deal yeah and, i mean Williams we were all poor as fuck That's so dope. it's like we were just do anything just to pay that rent but they, everybody caught on to what they could get away with and they did like every every year they would raise it a couple hundred dollars more and you just wanted to plead with them because you're thinking in my life i'm just learning how to make a couple hundred dollars more every year you know per month i was like and now it just keeps going to you yeah exactly <laughs> it's brutal <laughs> yeah anyways yeah yeah so uh, sadly she got cancer mm. and i think uh, she found god or something but she did something cool she applied for rent stabilization for the building so it locked all of our rents in so like that place at that point i don't know i think i was paying maybe like 1700 and like just to give you a perspective right now it's six grand Per month. Oh my right. goodness. So, so, like, we, we, so you, you really think about what she did, like how cool that was. I think the rent stabilization for that place goes up in 2025. So who's ever living there right now, your days are done. Because <laughs> so, like, so they don't have to too. renew the rent stabilization if they don't want to. But right. They're different owners now. She passed away. They sold the whole thing to a business. Right. You know? So again, that was definitely something unique to is, you know, renting directly from your landlord there from these, you know, so, so, so at a certain point, the place was getting expensive and it was big. So I turned it more into like my studio and my private space and then nice. a really nice, like rentable room. It was beautiful. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, people started, you know, it was the beginning of Airbnb. So everybody so you was were using that. Airbnb actually. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and eventually I kind of feel guilty about that because we realized we're kind of part of the problem. We're creating these rooms now that are more expensive that like, mm-hmm. you know, some kid just coming to New York who needs to rent a bedroom can't. Mm-hmm. So. I don't made me feel a little guilty there, but that ends eventually. Right. Anyways, yeah, I met a lot of people and like a lot of them were just like kids from the States that were just coming out to New York, but pretty much every one of them was cool. And eventually, you know, they say, come and come visit me, you know, mm. like, like I'm live in Boston or live out in LA. Like if you're ever out there, come visit. But yeah, so, so a couple of Taiwanese came and stayed. Mm. Um, and we're like, yeah, you got to come out here. And I thought, I'm not doing anything this week. So, mm. <laughs> and so I came out and stayed for like mm. a month. Oh, wow. And just really fell in love with it. And like oh. I said, like all that history that becomes part of my work, none of that really played into it at that point. Okay. Like I was just super into the energy. I grew up in the Midwest, like I said. And to me, like Taiwan is the Midwest of Asia. Mm. Like like everyone's super polite. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like Tai Taipei's a proper city. You know, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's fast paced, but it still has this like Midwest vibe. And maybe it's more like Chicago. It's, you know, it's chill. What year was that when you first came? <sighs> 2013, 14, somewhere in there. And then you went back to New York? Yeah, I went back to New York okay. and 
kind of just was going over it and eventually just said like you know talking to a friend i was like well, can i come out and just you know try this so then subletting my place was easy easy as you can imagine and i found some people that were i got lucky i had an older couple like almost everybody that was applying actually in the beginning were young kids who would literally say it's cool if we have big parties here right because this is a big space and i was like no Right. So I was like, pass, pass. I mean, just the, some of the worst jackasses would show right. up and just think, you know, uh, yeah. a lot of like turn low level rave. celebrities showed up and, you know, just like, I'm just not running to whatever your vibe is. But anyways, right. this couple came in from Boston and they were in their sixties and he just needed to start doing, he was, his business was spreading and they just wanted to have a nice place. And they were so cool. Still friends with these people. Like oh, whenever I go back, Sometimes they would like let me stay in one of the rooms and like I would stay, we'd sit up drinking all night. The nicest people. Uh, anyways, once COVID hit, they called me and he, you know, he had the foresight. He's like, give this two months and we're all out of business. And he was absolutely like his business. I know tanked. Oh, wow. Really? So yeah. I realized how much that place cost per month. If I even went two months without having somebody filling it. So I gave it up. And that was three years, three, three years ago, I guess for us. Yeah. It was like right in the beginning of COVID. So, so I'm actually like, he did me like, I was so upset that they were leaving, but he really did me a, a service because if they had just sat on their hands for a little bit longer, I just would have had to pay for a few months. Right, right, right. So that's the breakup with the Williamsburg apartment. Yeah. 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 And it yeah. was, it was super sad. But uh, at the same point, I was like, I really live in Taiwan now. And, and, but, you know, with COVID shutting everything down and you're like, I'm not going back. Right. Like if anything, Taiwan was a safe place. You know, this, it is, was like, the this safest is where I wanted place. to be. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Which again, that, you know, it's like we were kind of talking about 9-11, yeah. like galvanizing your feelings for where you're living. You know, how COVID was handled here, we were so proud of it. Like I'm constantly having conversations, or I was constantly having conversations with friends at home watching like the United States just unravel and people in denial of what to do and saying, this will pass in a month. And, you know, we're all over here in Taiwan. We're like, this isn't going to pass. You know, hunker down, close the airports and put a fucking mask on. Exactly. Um, so so but just even before. like, you know, like what the United States turned into after 2016 is just a madhouse and just mm -hmm. like realizing how chill Taiwan is. Mm -hmm. and, like, and, and, and don't get me wrong, people here are divided by their politics, but it doesn't make them insane. <laughs> and like the United States, it's just like, it just turned into like a fucking clown show. Yeah. The U.S. has a monopoly on that right now. Yeah. they yeah, Champions. They yeah. Like, you, we were talking about when I first went to Europe and you know, we were the stupid Americans that was still back then. And now, now China owns that. Like, and you know, like China is now the worst uh, tourist, you know, mm -hmm. that's nothing personal. It's just, you know, mm -hmm. it is what that's it is. Reputation. So, yep. but, but now, yeah, I think now the U S is kind of reclaiming the biggest idiots on the planet award again. Yeah. Make America great again. <laughs> yep. And it is, <laughs> but no, no, no. I was like, I'm going to give it a try here. Okay. What, whatever that meant. Right. Know? Because like legally I wasn't allowed to work. So I was just living on my savings, which, which, you know, in Taipei, you can, you can, you, you can, can manage, you, yeah. you, you, you know, yeah, if you're smart, you can. And then, so I did that for a few years before. And then once I got my visa, mm. now I'm allowed, if I want to, you know, I can sell work, exhibit work. Right. Okay. Can you tell a little bit about that process of the artist visa? Oh, it was grueling. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, well, most visas that people get that are like foreign talent or arts, uh, it would be a situation. So let's say, you know, you're an actor, you're coming over to do a film. So th there's a real job there for you. And, and in most cases, you know, the production company has taken care of all the paperwork. Yeah. You just show up. So I had to take care of everything. And they had just created this visa. I guess maybe it was like the previous year, there was a British resident, a British national. And he mm. was just staying here. He was an artist. And the neighbors called in saying, this guy's making paintings here, technically working. He's an artist. Um, so he, he, he got deported. They narked on him. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> oh, that's fucked up. Okay. Um, but that said, the government was like, what are we doing? Like, why are we kicking out 
you know, somebody who's just mm-hmm. here like making a painting is just trying to make some work. We should be encouraging this. So they got their shit together and they made this like visa that essentially you don't have to have employment. And, like that was the big thing with mine is like, th- like at no point did I have to show bank statements or anything. It was just, I, you did have to prove that you are a professional artist. So you had to show mm. tons of paperwork. Like I had to go back, like a lot of my shows in the like, God, the late nineties, <laughs> you know, there was no internet recording everything. So I'm like yeah. trying to go back and find paperwork for these shows and it just doesn't exist. You have to look on papyrus and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like some whacked out Reddit reader has like a, a drawer or something of all these flyers, maybe from the shows. I don't know. Um, so it was, it was hard. And, and every single person in the government I came across, and I need to say this, the Taiwanese government are the nicest people. Like if you've ever gone to the DMV in New York city, <laughs> like they just look at you like, good day. I hate you. What do you need? <laughs> right. you know, they're just awful. Yeah. But here they're the sweetest people. But, but that said, the process was grueling because mm. they would look at me and they'd say like, you know, so where are you going to be working? And I said, I, I don't have to have a job. This is a new visa. And they're like, no. And I would have to go online, like their computer typing in this address. I was like, do you see, do you see? Right. I was like, this is a new thing. And it's like, and they didn't know. Cause yeah. you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I think for those of us in that first year, it was really hard to get just because, you know, it was just all this, the bureaucracy. Right, it was and, new and. Right, 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 right. Um, but then, yeah, once I got it, that was a massive relief. No more, mm. no more visas, you know, jumping no back and forth. No more visa runs. Right, right, right. So yeah. that felt good. And it definitely felt like, you know, being someplace where you might actually be wanted. They want it. They want some of these like foreign artists to be coming and like sharing theirs and absorbing yours. And that was cool. Okay. So. We are here in Taiwan now, so I think we can get into your first solo exhibition here in Taiwan cool. at the 99 Degree Art Center in Beitou. Can you tell us a little bit about this exhibition? If you come over to my studio, you'll just laugh. There's maybe a couple hundred paintings. or just everything stacked, and it's like the room just keeps getting smaller with every painting. <laughs> um, so we just went through and we picked out, uh, I want to say it's maybe like 15 large paintings. Those paintings are about... By sure, by which, uh, 115 okay. by 150 around there. Okay. Um, so good size. Yeah. And then we picked out a few smaller ones just because smaller are a little easier to sell. They cover the beginning of the project to like now. What's important about that is in the beginning, I guess I was a bit more obvious. I was covering like the transfer of power from uh, Imperial Japan mm-hmm. to what would then just become like the KMT running the show. Right. And there was that, you know, 1949. You know, it must have been just strange for the locals. They're like, they're being governed by one and then now they're being governed by another. Right. And without getting too much into the politics of that, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. Um, so, but I kind of focused on that and that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Mm. So, so three of those paintings that are from that period are in there and the paintings are the rising sun, like going down and while well, you have the KMT sun rising up. You can see what I'm saying. They're, 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 they're obvious. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see what I, and right. I'm dealing with like, who are you talking to the Taiwanese? I'm just like, I'm trying to understand your history and what you're all about. Um, and making these paintings that, you know, as an artist, you know, you just have to say this, we're looking for material to use, you know, writers do the same thing. Like, you know, like you they're not trying to comics, solve the same cancer thing. or something. They're like, they're like, they're just, you know, they want to express themselves. And so they find a source and this, this source, source. was so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So those early paintings, which there's three of them in there, hmm. you, you get them. And then they, they start evolving as I evolve here. And I, my identity is becoming more of a local. Mm. Like I'm feeling like, where do I fit into this? Like, because these paintings are kind of like, if you're not an Aboriginal, like we're all visitors on this island. Exactly. Yep. So, so I'm kind of seeing like, where do I fit into that? Um, and so some of the later paintings you'll see have like the phrase outsider. They have the symbols for what I've just set up as meaning like China, Japan, Taiwan, 
and the United States. Mm. So I just, it's, I have created these like hand carved stamps. So like, a, that's another thing we can talk about. Like I've given up brushwork. I wanted to, you know, start using these stamps the way I would use a brush. Right, like the um, Japanese inkan, the stamps. Exactly, so, yeah. so it's like the, the, the com- seals. Yeah, the common. So, so anybody who visits Taiwan for the first time or a good part of Asia, we're really fascinated by the, the name chops. Yeah. Uh, food those who don't know it's like it's how they sign their name and like legal documents so like when i got married recently i had to use my, my chinese name on a stamp and oh i thought that was so cool my yeah. girl my she looked at me she's like i think you're more excited to use your stamp than you are to get married and i was like <laughs> i was like ah, i don't know uh, but, maybe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but you know we're all really fascinated with that we just think it's cool and they think it's so, yeah but it's, now they're it's like stupid what are you talking and outdated about? Like, and right 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 right, right. but like, i like it so that was it like for me that was like the, the progressing like through you know, the work and trying to make something new for myself. Mm. So that's what it became. These stamps became my brushes, like how I apply the paint, how, how much paint is on there, how, you know, how hard you press with like, mm. like leaving these marks. So my only reason telling you this is like, there's a big part of this project that has nothing to do with caring for anything other than painting, just like loving making paintings. The process. Right. So, 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 so I came up with these symbols, like I said, that like, so the dragon will always mean China. Um, the Mehua flower will always mean Taiwan. Mm. The American Eagle will represent that. Um, and then yes. the rising sun, anytime you see a circle in the paintings, it's, it's always Japan. a reference to Japan. Right. 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 So, so, so I've just created this like language for myself. Now I can just make abstract paintings. So, mm. so there's a lot of these that somebody like, you know, they were asking me like, well, what's this one mean more? I'm like, it's really just the same idea, but I just, I'm like investigating in another color palette. I'm like, I shit you not. We were watching, uh, oh God, all these Viking shows that are on TV in these last few years. So there was this one that somehow we were into. Um, and they were like fighting the French and the French, uh, they had these shields that have like, if you know what the color of like Tiffany's green, yeah, like the they, bluish that, green yeah, turquoise. Everybody knows that, right? Yeah. And I like, but on these shields, it was just so beautiful. And I was like, I gotta make a painting with that color. Ooh. And I ended up making tons of paintings that are just that. So somebody asked me like the meaning, I was like, I just got off on the color. Right. That's, that's all it was. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I was like, but there's real content to the painting. It's behind yeah. all of them. Um, but it's cool that I have this thing that now allows me the freedom just to make some paintings, you know, and I go back and forth, uh, you know, so like the one that I made for uh, this Lunar New Year, the Year of the Rabbit, you know, I took advantage on the top of it. You know, I used this Chinese sentiment that is meaning like I'm bound to Taiwan now. So I, I still took advantage of this as an opportunity to like lay down some like, you know, some love and some right. truth. Right, 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 right. How did you feel in the beginning when there was a backlash to some of your art? Well, you know, everyone's super polite here. <laughs> we covered that so so like the backlash was just subtle like uh, it was just uh, and i have a few friends that work at galleries that uh when they talk about you know they're like you know i think we could show your work but maybe not uh, mm. and the reason being you know han covered this where is that a lot of collectors here are kmt there's a lot of you know mm. the older money is with this political party it is what it is i'm not judging <laughs> so the, a lot of the collectors are that so a lot of them they would see these paintings as being critical of the kmt and it's not like i was just fascinated with the transference of power and like and how i can represent that in a you know two-dimensional image um, and that said a lot of them the kids who you think well then like dpp like you know collectors they would think like cool but they didn't because they felt like i was glorifying like the kmt by making, you know, taking the effort to make these paintings. So, mm. so I, I got stuck in this zone of like, nobody wants to talk about politics, basically. Exactly. Especially they don't want to hang out over their couch. Um, but again, that was maybe like four or five years ago. And I know you've seen this, that in the last few years, talking about politics has become more acceptable. Mm. Like it was mm. kind of a little faux pas. Like, I mean, especially five or six years ago, nobody wanted to talk about it. And I was only asking questions because I was just digging into history, but you got to talk about politics to talk about history. Um, but now I feel like it's, 
not fashionable, but like, it's really okay to talk about. And I think, you know, the volume has been turned up on the intensity with our relationships with other countries. Um, so it's like, we need to talk about it. And that's one thing I always say, like when someone like at the, you know, I finish any one of these talks, you know, I'm just like, I'm not trying to like provoke anybody mm. any more than I'm just trying to provoke a conversation. Like mm. let's talk. And that it seems a little less necessary now, you know, it's, it's arrogant for me to think I'm going to walk in here and like tell you guys about your history and you need to be doing this. You need to be doing this. Uh, but I kind of was doing that a little, but now as I'm kind of, uh, these paintings are more becoming navel gazing again. Like I'm looking at myself and how I fit in. I feel less of a need to talk about the politics so overtly. Right, right, right. right. Let it speak for itself. The art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean the, the show for me was super important that it had all these aspects that I could drag you around and you get the work. When they came to me initially, we were thinking about doing like a, the floor plan would have been, you, you know, you see this where it's just like one painting on each wall. So okay. you have four walls, you've got four paintings. And I was like, no, I was like, a lot of people don't know who I am here. It's like, I want to educate them like on my process and see that so they can look left and right back and forth. And they're like, oh, I totally get this. I can see you growing through like this five year project. So like, I mean, even now, like I'll be having some work in Art Tainan next weekend. And okay. She's just taking a couple paintings down. And, and I feel really like anxious about that because I feel like they're taking them out of context right? and without these other paintings. So you know, I'm like, could you take 20 with you? Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Just drag them all down there. Exactly. <laughs> I can help. Yeah. Um, so do you think these 20 are a good representation or do you still feel that it's incomplete? It's totally incomplete. Right. If, if you came back to my studio, there's three or four paintings that I desperately wanted to put into the show. But for superficial reasons, like actually there's just a balance in some of these, like as, as long as the big picture is, is represented, it, it just came down to honestly, in some of these paintings, you had one that was like a cool color palette and one that was warm. So I would just like bounce them so you wouldn't have, let me dumb it down. So you don't have like three green paintings in a row. I was like, I need to use one of these paintings that has like a warm palette. Sure. So like one painting I didn't include that I really would have liked to it was after Pulowski came, you remember how with 24 hours later, the mm. shit hit the fan. Mm -hmm. So I immediately made a painting like in response to that. So the painting was I ran out and I found actual camouflage that the Taiwan military uses mm. um, in the older style before they, you know, they use the more like digital, digital one now. So it was an older one, which is cool. So, so I use that. So I stretch that over there and then I do my, again, my series of, you know, like the, the dragon, the American the thing in the, the main the quad. But so it's just those three now. Okay. You know, and the painting's called true colors. Ooh. So it's, nice. it's just, you know, it's about again, like here it comes, you know, war is just this like great motivator. Um, so I didn't include that in there and that bums me out. Okay. What were the other two that are not included, but that you would have liked to? Uh, there's another painting I made <laughs> uh, that ha it, it glows in the dark. <laughs> oh, uh, I've seen that one. I think I saw it on, uh, I think a YouTube video. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So black so, light. So it's just basically the rising sun flag, but very antiqued. But once you turn a black light on, you can see the flag for Formosa. So in like 1895, Japan and China, their civil war came to an end. And part of that was the Treaty of Shimonoseki. Yep. And part of that, it was the Qing dynasty. It's important to say it that way. Exactly. <laughs> the Qing dynasty gave yep. Japan Taiwan. And for about four months, Taiwan got its shit together and they, they printed money. They made stamps. Uh, they made a flag like they were like they wanted to, you know, be legit. Um, so they they fought. And I mean, Japanese military at this time was massive. And so mm. Who was going to win? But, right. but you know, you got to give them credit. <laughs> they stood up for themselves. But uh, right. anyway, so 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 in that painting, when you wave the uh, black light over it, the the flag for Formosa pops mm. up. So it has the, the tiger 
and then it has Formosa Republic. And that was a very short-lived flag, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. They still have a copy of one of them in the museums here. Um, but they really did actually use So uh, there's another writer, Jerome Keating. Uh, he's lived here for ages. He's written a lot of books on Taiwan history. But I fortunately called him and I was like, did they ever actually really want to self-identify as Formosa? Because that was like the Portuguese name given in the 1600s for right. them. Um, and we looked it up and like, you know, the, the stamps they printed while having, you know, like Taiwan in Chinese, it actually did say Republic of Formosa on it. Like they, they were already identifying for the purpose, meaning like appealing to the West right. as an identifiable name. Okay. What is the third one? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it was a, just a couple that I just were decorative that, like, okay. like, that I can look at them and like, I laugh where I see some of these paintings. And I know why you wouldn't want to hang them on your wall. Like, mm. do you really want to? Like have this history painting that reminds you of that. Like I personally would, but but mm. I have some paintings that I just think, like I told you, I just like the color palette. It was just you know it was color theory. So the, yeah, there was a few of those. I'm just like that was a nice painting and it might sell because it's just a nice painting. Mm. But so I didn't include those because I wanted to say another painting that maybe had a little bit more direct content that people would understand. I mean, it would be nice with this if enough people have you know an understanding of why I make my work that mm. I could then kind of like recede and just make some images that are, you know, I can just get into painting a bit more. But, but there's still so much going on with Taiwan that I kind of feel like I need to keep making work that's addressing what's happening right now. Like the Pelosi one, that was definitely the most, like nobody would argue, you know, like the issue of cultural appropriation has come up with me. Like, and normally mm. I'm the one who brings it up. Like I'll say like, mm. do you feel that this is happening? And almost everybody says like, no, 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 no. They're like, your paintings look Western. They don't look like you're like, you know, hacking our so style so you can like make a buck. Mm. Like, these are Western paintings, but yeah, you're, you're talking about our story, but you're saying it from your perspective. So it's all fair. Right. You know, like the, the Taiwanese director, Liang, you mm, know, like he, he made a, he made a movie, but it was about the American civil war. Obviously wasn't around then. He, he did live in the United States. He went to college. Very similar story though. Like he just got mm. super into this one part in history. And so he told his own story. And actually right. that movie is a little sympathetic to the South which movies that most Americans write about that never portray that. So again, but it was kind of cool when you see him doing it. I was like, it's because you, you, you have no bias in this. Like you just are telling a story. Um, so I, yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about the process? I don't know if all of them are, but it seems like these are, as you had alluded to before, where you were kind of getting away from painting in this one and using a lot more mixed media. Uh, they go back and forth. Oh, okay. So, so all the ones that are actually on the, uh, what we call Hakka fabric, whether that's really, everyone calls it that now. What is Hakka fabric? Hakka uh, fabric was the fabric that after the KMT came here in like 49, they tried to set up their own identity. Like, and, and this is common. There's just like parts of the government who, you know, like in the United States, especially after World War II, they would just, you know, they'd make things that wanted to appear American, mm. you know? So whether it came down to a jingle a car or just anything that they just, they, they want your identity to become, you know, important. This material, I guess, uh, there's a Times article, a Taipei Times article from maybe like 10 or 15 years ago I found, but they did an interview with the woman that actually made this fabric in the 50s, 60s. And, and, and that was the point was just like, you know, have this fabric that was very Taiwanese. Um, and then when she, but she, when she mentioned her inspiration, it was using the peony flower, which is very related to Japanese culture. And mm -hmm. I mean, when it makes sense because she was raised under, you know, colonial Japanese period. So like she still has that influence in there. So, you know, like it's a little ironic and trying to like create your own identity and it's just so, you know, imbued with another. So in that case, so these are actually, that really is Hakka fabric. Mm. Like, like I can paint a flower, but like right. I wanted it to really be a Hakka fabric. So obviously like the red one made more sense for the Japanese image. And then I used the blue Hakka fabric, which is the one everybody knows. Like most of the kids here, they're like, yeah, that was, that was hanging from our curtains. That was on our tablecloth. That's like, is it this one? Is this no, the no, blue? No. no. Second go on the right side, top row. 
There you go. This one. There you go. Okay. So it has the rise or it has the KMT sun. Right. The KMT sun with a blue background and then some pink and orange. And the peony flower. Peony flowers. Yeah. Right. Where do you find these Hakka fabric? Uh, this place is on Dihua Street up in the Dihua. Yeah. Yeah, there's that massive it's our garment district, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> you can find all that so, so, so cheap. Everybody always says, like, if you're a maker in Taiwan, you'll love it because there's just always a district where you can find something that's so cheap, like anything right. you want to make. So for an artist, it's just brilliant. Like when I made the uh, glow-in-the-dark thing, it actually wasn't as easy as you think of just going and buying glow-in-the-dark paint, which mm. should exist, uh, but it didn't really the way I needed it because I needed it to be really thick, um, not just something like a child would use. So I actually had to find a chemist. So I had this paint, like I had to buy all the like the actual fluorescent powders and make my own uh, paint. Paste, but, 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 but here in Taipei, it's, it's easy because you, know, you can find this chemist that sells all these weird chemicals and you don't have to have a license. You just go out and buy these chemicals. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. Like in my studio, it does look like a little like chemistry lab there. It's, you mix it together and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. That's definitely like any of us like old school painters that are like really into the alchemy of painting. Um, right. like we're really into mixing these things it's so cheesy but it's it is what it is but i still have it today like i love like walking into these places and buying chemicals but anyways but most of the paintings after that you were asking about the process mm. most of them are pretty traditional painting process they just go through layers uh, i mean i suppose conversationally this one might be interesting one of the main layers that i'll often start with i'll just lay a thin layer out and then i'll hit it with uh, alcohol which is in an abundance now. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, so I would hit it though. But what I was, uh, what I was. You drink like, it first, or you hit a little the bit, painting? A little oh, bit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm a galleon man. Not. Oh, galleon. Yeah, wow, gin man. Not rubbing alcohol. Okay. <laughs> so, so this is rubbing alcohol. Correct. Uh, Seventy-five to ninety-five percent. Oh. Um, anyways, what I was trying to recreate though is these photographs that I saw of carpet bombing. Um, carpet bombings where they just like plane Damn. goes over and they just drop bombs and it and the landscape from an aerial point of view is quite beautiful but mm. <laughs> horrifying mm -hmm. from the ground right but so it just creates all these little circles on the yeah ground. so 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 a lot of these paintings if you look at them and you can like dig into the primary layer you'll see like it's that's what it looks like it's like all these little spots and circles all these pock marks yeah yeah and and, and wow. I mean, partially i just liked it because it really gave the painting like immediate depth like a, like this paint was like floating over the primary sure layer. so again that was like it's just kind of a foundation thing but it but i wanted to like again i want to like imbue it with like meaning right there's just still something that kind of comes back to war so that's in all of them uh, like anything that i didn't actually like use real fabric like huh. all those paintings if you get close you'll see that as a primary layer and then then it just becomes color theory i'm a real joseph albers nerd like it's just this you know two colors bouncing back and forth on each other vibrating like that's really mm -hmm. seductive to me so so, hmm. so yeah so sometimes you, know, you just find the right blue that vibrates against the right orange and right so then that would become a second layer and then quite often then i would reuse that color into one of the first layers of stamps um, so that it would kind of disappear into it so and i like that so the primary layer that that is like the information the real stamps is kind of floating in and out so one of the paintings that's in here that is like almost everybody comes up to me the painting's called uh, the uh, tale of two tigers and they're like i don't see the second tiger you really have to look at it um, and so these two tigers one of them is the tibetan tiger which you really want to know if you Google it, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but when you see it, you'll say like, oh yeah, 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 that looks like a Tibetan tiger. And then the other is the Formosa tiger. I don't think it's on my oh, website. It's okay. definitely on the Instagram. Okay. So the Formosa tiger really scroll way, way the fuck up. Okay. I'm going to try to find it on Jason Cole majors. IG. There you go. Bottom left. There you go. This the, guy. Yeah. The red one. Yeah. Okay. So you can see, you can like, you really can only see the primary tiger, which is the Tibetan one. 
So I made it right at that, like about a year or so ago when some shit was going down and people were starting to compare Taiwan with Tibet as far as oh, its future. Mm, okay. So the painting just that. But you can also see the painting like, you can just enjoy it as just, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice as painting just of a tiger. A, right. Aesthetically beautiful right. painting. Yeah. Where is the other tiger? Exactly. Yeah. So so it's all it makes up the background, but you can see the little mm. carpet bombing circles now, right? Yeah, and I can. can. Yeah, but those the point of that the darker red. Yeah. So so I don't know if there's a second image or not. Anyways, you get up close to it, you'll realize the entire background's made up of the Formosa tiger. Huh. So how long does a piece like this <laughs> take? People always. Uh, <laughs> I used to just like crank work out. Could just crank it out. Just sit there and sit there and whether it's old age or I genuinely like to spend more time thinking. Like mm. I, I want each one of these while it's telling a similar message. I want each one to feel visually unique, you know? Right. And some of them are bigger jumps like that whole glow in the dark thing. You're like, okay, you're definitely doing something new, but you're telling the exact same story. So I spend a lot more time on them. I mean, okay. I, I do a lot of the work digitally. So sometimes I'll like, so that primary layer I mentioned, I'll just mm. take a photo of that and then I'll digitally lay some stamps on there so I can go through the color palettes. I can just see like, Oh, okay. What's going to, and then quite often through that, like the scale will change and I don't know. I so mean, the, some, sometimes the painting, my wife will tell you she, like she <laughs> artists spouses are kind of all the same. Like they're, <laughs> they're your biggest fan, but they're also like the most like over you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> of she, course, you know, so it's like, right. I'm so excited. I was like, I got a hard on for this new work. And she's like, uh, oh, it's pretty good. Well, right, whatever. Going to dinner tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, huh. For example, like between each layer, do you allow time to kind of let it percolate or well, my studio is so really. small now here that yeah I pretty much only work in water base which okay. is chemically safer and better for everybody and right but, but now in new york i only worked in oils so that was really hard to do here because working in the water base is just it's very plastic don't really care for it hmm. but, but I, i've learned to get around it, it makes cleaning easier um I think almost all my friends feel the same. Everybody that went through art school, we were pretty much mostly raised working in oils, mm. but like just for environmental reasons and our own personal health after 20, 30 years of doing this, you kind of just, and a lot of us are living in our spaces too. Like yeah. I, I definitely have a lot of professors who still oil paint mm. but their studio is someplace else. I have a, maybe a strange question, but do you yeah. think the weather, the difference in weather has any uh, noticeable effect on anything? Um, because, you know, Taiwan is very humid. My patience. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, no, no, no. Actually, one painting that's in the show right now is already warped. Um, oh. Just within the, the shipping period. It wasn't warped in my studio. And just being exposed outside for just that long. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that bad, but... One of the wow. guys at the gallery is like, well, what is this? He, like, he seemed like shocked. I was like, this is Taiwan. Like, this is what happens to wood. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I had to replace a few frames before I did the show. So the humidity really has affected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But art. I mean, anecdotally, yeah, it's affected me much more. I, like, right. I'm, 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 a, I'm a cold weather, dry weather lover. But I've definitely acclimated. And I know this because I have a lot of friends that come out and visit. And we'll like go for like, you know, just like a quick hike up like Xiangsan mm -hmm. and just a little whatever. And I get up there and of course I'm tired. My friend looks like he's about to have a heat stroke and I'm genuinely like, I've, I'm genuinely worried about him, right. <laughs> you know? So I realize I've acclimated to like the weather here. You get dressed, you think you look good. You go down to the street to just get a coffee and you're pouring sweat. And exactly. I mean, essentially in July, there's no such thing as fashion. In July, you're just like, I'm going to wear a string and just like, <laughs> and like, you know, like you just want to wear nothing. Exactly. I've embraced linen. So that's how you can find Jason walking around yeah. in string. Yeah. The white guy. The in string. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that's coming up soon. I'm dreading the summer. Oh, no, yeah. the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was a great yeah. winter. This was like, I, it, true. I don't know. Maybe just cause I was working on this show for so long, but the winter was in slow motion and we had like a rainy few weeks. God, we're talking about the weather. <laughs> 
But anyway, anybody who comes to Taiwan, it's like, this is a fair conversation. Yeah. Like my friends visit, I was like, do not ever come between like June and like the first of October. I was like, just don't do it because no. it's a, it's like a pain in all of our ass. Like, like you want to go out. Everyone's ass, exactly. Yeah. It's like, just don't do it. We, we hibernate. take you out too. So, you know. Yeah. We don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> You're on your own if you come in the summer. Yeah. I've never embraced air conditioning as much as here. And when I, I've had a few European friends come and like when they, like we have a guest room, so they, they would stay and not turn on the AC. And I was like, well, you just turn it on for me for peace of mind. Right. So it's like, I don't know how you can resist this. Yeah. I was actually speaking of the weather. This sounds like a very important topic. <laughs> so I was just back in the States over Chinese New Year. I went to New York City, Dallas, and then California. The weather was crazy at that time. It was oh, really cold mm. everywhere, right. freezing, and people were freaking out. The day we left Dallas, we actually went out to LA, um, and my mom was in Dallas, and she said, you guys left at the perfect time. Mm. There's a like a historic, unprecedented hailstorm the day after we left in Texas, right. which is crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 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 You see the, the, the weather's kind of weird. Snow-capped mountains behind the Hollywood sign. Yeah, like, true. Whoa. Yeah. yeah it's strange, I guess, global warming. The world, <laughs> the world. Yeah. But uh, yeah, anyways, yeah, we'll be going back to New York in a month. Okay, uh, nice. My wife and I are going to go back for, I guess we're calling it kind of our honeymoon. Uh, we had to visit some family at the that obligation of, I think, first time she's introduced, you know, as, as the wife to, oh. to my parents. They've known her for, we've been together for years. I mean, I married my best friend. This was right. not anything shocking to anybody. But uh, anyways, it'll be fun. I haven't been back to New York in maybe five years. I've okay. been three years ago. Side. I went and just visited family because it just had to be a quick trip. But I actually haven't been like home to New York in five years. But, yeah, looking forward to it. Are you going out back to the Midwest as well? Or this is just a New York trip? I haven't been back Midwest. I think I went once. I, mean, I think I went in 2014 before I moved to Taiwan. Hmm. And it was because I said my, my real father. Uh, biological father right <laughs> lives out there so i, I kind of just went to have a, like a trip with him and i saw mm. a few friends but i haven't been back in ages and it's funny because since then that last like nine years i've reconnected with so many friends there just through facebook that now i really want to go back and see right. but like at that time i hadn't talked to those friends in long enough that it was a kind of a, okay to not keep right. talking but now yeah i really would like to but when, now we're not going to we have to get back here for uh, you know taiwan gives uh when someone gets married they get eight paid vacation days <gasps> i know Wait, again another reason to just love taiwan oh damn right so she has eight paid vacation days so we're gonna like bundle that around two weekends so like her trip you know she's not losing any money me as an artist i'll just keep not making money right <laughs> <laughs> everything's kosher right. it's all good oh wow okay. i know that's amazing right yeah that I is know. very cool there's a lot of progressive laws i mean yeah, yeah. It's, Especially it's, when you compare it's like the to government the actually is working for the people. Right. It's insane. They're trying. Yeah. Unlike. Yeah. <laughs> a great place. But. Huh. So five years ago, do you do you think uh, there will be a lot of changes? Uh, my friends, I mean, again, if we're just talking about my neighborhood in Williamsburg, yeah, everyone, they're like, it's just like almost every restaurant that you loved is gone. Oh, man. Yeah. So, so honestly, that part, I have no real interest except for just like a voyeur, just to like see the scene of the crime of like this gentrification that's even gone further. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, we'll spend a day probably doing that. But no, no, no. Like there's a brilliant show at the Guggenheim right now. I was like, so I, I want to take her. She came with me one time, maybe four or five years ago. Um, and there was a uh, blizzard. So, and don't get me wrong, New York City with a blizzard is beautiful for 24 True. hours. And then it just turns into ice, slush, slush yeah. and dog shit. <laughs> exactly. It's just this like sea of animal feces everywhere. It's just, yeah, it's, it's so gross. gross. It's so and it was gross. freezing. It was, it was so cold. So like we really didn't get to do much. Like we went to the Met and we 
walked around Central Park and that she would love it, you know, but, but we'll, we'll get to go in the proper like spring where we can really like hang out in the city. Yeah, we're excited. I'm excited for her. Anyways, we're looking forward to going back. And I haven't seen my family in three and a half years since COVID. Like just this winter was the first time it became logical, but I was working on this show, so I just couldn't get out. I mean, it's become kind of normal. Now, in the beginning, it was really sad. Like my mom was like, let's FaceTime. And I was like, okay. And we look at each other and we're like, we are getting old. Like you could really see age, you know, like happening in both of us. Um, But kind of now it has, it feels a little normal to just exist, you know, via just you know right video virtual chatting. communications yeah, it, it feels shockingly normal i know but, but i want to break that i want to you know go back and give actually a proper hug see a person and yeah, yeah 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 be in the same space true that what about museums you're speaking about going and you mentioned a great show at the guggenheim uh what are your favorite museums in new york or a specific show or an exhibition that is really memorable for you Honestly, I'm a total history junkie. So it's like, I mean, I go to all the galleries. I do all that. You know, that's just, it's my job. But like, if you really were to say like, if you wanted to, you and I wanted to go and you wanted to see the look on my face mm. where you're like, he's loving this. Yeah. It's the history section at the Met. They have, they history have all the, the yeah, they've got like Henry the 8th, 14th, one of those, you know, the fat fuck. Like they have his suit of armor. <laughs> Which fat it fuck? is so beautiful. And it's just huh. like, yeah, yeah, that, I just get off on all that. Okay. And that's not looted. So you don't have to feel quite as. Right, <laughs> guilty about it. Right, right, right. Um, huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I don't know. Tons of memorable shows. Like it's nonstop there. But um, what's one that percolates to the top of your memory? Uh, there was, uh, one of mine is from the Met, and I wasn't actually into fashion at this time. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a Alexander, the Alexander McQueen. McQueen show. Did that you was, see that? Yeah, hell yeah. That was one. Dude, yeah. that was that was impressive. That yeah. was super shocking, and I was like, okay, he this, was an artist. Exactly. Right? Like I became like very interested in fashion at that time. I was yeah, like, yeah. wow, this is, this guy's crazy. Yeah, you this know, I'll just steal yours to keep this faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, like art's my thing, you know, like, like obviously painters and like my friends shows are the best things I see. Cause I really mm. know where they're coming from. You know, just talking about that. It's, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah that was brilliant. Yeah. That one was really good. I remember another one at the Met with Santiago Calatrava, who is a very famous architect from Spain, okay. kind of an architect engineer. That one was also incredible. Okay. He's a he's when an was absolute that? genius. I don't remember. Okay. I'm so terrible with dates. Uh, I'm out so, of names, so you can combine. Okay, perfect. Dates I'm brilliant with. Names, <laughs> yeah, forget about dates it. I'm terrible. Like, look at this. If you look at my notes over here, it's like it's just it's names. Just names. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like so I don't want to forget anybody I love. But. So, who are some people you love? that we need to talk about. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not going down there. Uh, I mean, actually looking at my notes, things that we never discussed, like uh, my, oh, my reading, sure Taiwan's, yeah, 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 exactly. Su, Su Bung. I, I don't know how you like, pronounce the English transliteration, but. I call him Shuming. Yeah, Shuming. Safer yeah. for locals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was a bit, that was a big, uh, like reading that and. Can you under- explain who that is a bit for people who might not know? Because he's a gigantic personality in Taiwan. Uh, he's a, Taiwanese political activist who mm. when uh, the KMT came in he was part of you know these people that was really you know standing up for the locals rights and not wanting to be governed um, and he fled to Japan for a while um, and then he started writing this 400 years of Taiwan right um, and this book is honestly it's brilliant reading it's, it's very readable <laughs> so um, if you want to look it up it's 
transliterated into English as Su Beng or Su Bung, S U and then B E N G. I haven't come across a single local that knows why. Right. Why if you say, British. oh, you know Su Bung, I really love Su Bung. And, right. like, yeah. and, and I did most of these interviews, I would start with that and they're like, well, we'll have to look him up. <laughs> then, but then, yeah, Shu Bing, and everyone's like, oh, and they're like, yeah, oh we were raised okay. on him. Right. So he is a Taiwanese political activist of the Taiwan independence movement. He studied in Japan at Waseda University in Tokyo, a very famous one, and wrote a book called Taiwan's 400-Year History. Right. Yeah, so yeah, I, I had also read uh, somewhere you had alluded to this as a very important book for you. Right, so like in my early paintings, I'm just really focusing on that transference of power. But actually, you know, like hearing it from the horse's mouth, you know, like, like a local who went through this, who resisted. And again, you know, with this, you've picked up, like, I'm really not promoting one side or the other. I have my politics. I have who I would vote for, but I'm really not trying to be divisive with this. Mm. But nonetheless, this is a fascinating person. Yeah, um, definitely. So yeah, his writing, he just makes you really understand, especially for those, those of us who just don't know the more intimate you know, like politics behind it. It's like someone who knows the civil war happened in the United States, but they don't really know the what's and why's, you know, he, he lays it out for you. Mm -hmm. And it made me like really understand Taiwanese identity pre 1949 and Taiwanese identity afterwards. And that's a lot to, to go into right now, but, <laughs> but, but he was influential as far as like waking me up to just so much more, mm. you know, and you got to dig deeper than just everybody knows these like, you know, top right, level history facts. Right. You know, like, what other inspirations have you had here in Taiwan in terms of your art? With the history thing, if you remember, there was that uh, mini series that came out, Sokalu Formosa, yes. 1967. Right. So, so, so I got asked to play like one of the characters in that. Like we were just part of these, the American soldiers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a big Netflix series. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was also on TV, I guess. Locally, yeah, it was okay. on TV. But yeah, it was on Netflix so everyone could watch it. Yeah, it was massive. I knew one of the actors and he knew I was super into Taiwan history. So he's like, you want to play one of the you know, disgruntled American soldiers who, you know, the bearded white men. We all had to grow beards and we signed a contract that said we wouldn't shave them for like six months until our part of production was over. Oh, wow. Yeah, which okay. was a huge bummer having a beard in Taiwan. <laughs> and the costumes we wore were wool and like, and, and, and they had to be the real layers. So we really had like the real t-shirts on or, or undergarments. Yeah, it was brutal. Brutal. Like, I mean, we actually had to hike up the mountains in like Pingtung in the Kenting National Forest. Oh, down south. Which was amazing. So we got to go to places that only like Aboriginal communities have access to. So they got permits. So we were walking around places that literally no one but a local like has ever even walked in some of these areas. It was right. very cool. And it's where the rover incident, this actual like event that happened back then, which was like a U.S. ship got stuck on some coral and they were afraid of the local Indians because they had heard stories. And so they didn't come ashore. And eventually when they did, they got their heads cut off. And then that got U.S. politics involved here kind of like really for the first time. So the U.S. brought in the Navy. So we played these Navy characters who would then go in battle. And it was really cool. Be, uh, again, because like, don't get me wrong, the filming was, although hot, <laughs> was amazing. <laughs> and it was really cool to do all that. Uh, but at, what was the best part was at the night we would all just drink and it was with all like aboriginals like that were playing the aboriginal like you know the indians here right so we just got to bro out with them all night like playing guitar and oh it was really cool. cool yeah 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 yeah. i mean it was all about the nights right like, like the daytime was awesome don't get me wrong like filming but is you fun. had to work yeah yeah yeah. but but sweat how long was that production was it six months or oh the whole thing i think you i mean with pre-production it was like a two-year process but right. i think of actual filming it was close to a year maybe 
Oh, wow. And they only had us out there for like, they'd grab us for two weeks here and there. Like we'd have to go back and stay, but they rented out this just massive, uh, like all these cabins that were meant for like tourists, but they just took over the whole thing for a year. Oh, wow. They just paid these, you know, this place. And they're like, this is our compound now. Because mm-hmm. it was a huge production. So many people. Mm-hmm. Like, you would go to get your costume on, and there was all people learning, like, they were doing their uh, fight training. Right. So we had to go through fight training as well, like, how to, how to get shot convincingly. But again, it was like a, one more thing that just really pulled me in here. Because it's not like I got asked to be on some cop TV show, you know. But, like, right. this thing, <laughs> that, you know, like, I think besides what was the Rainbow Warriors that came out maybe like 20 years ago, mm. which is amazing. It's mm-hmm. about the, you know, the Japanese and then the aboriginals. Like nothing can touch that. That was just right. brilliant. Um, but this was amazing to be part of it. And it was just, you know, you, you had to be like studying the culture as you're, you're there. Right. You know, and we're hanging out with all these people and powerful. That was your first time on a movie set as well. Yeah, when I was a kid, I used to like do like commercials and stuff. Oh, like, you so, did? So, so you're like, yeah, you were a child actor. Kind of. It was just it's funny you say that. A friend of mine posted this. It was like a pharmacy that was just a local thing. But he posted it joking had nothing to do with ever and it's like you know that's me and it's like we're basically we're playing basketball and i'm not sure if you can tell staring at me i'm not athletic so so but you can see it you can see this commercial of this like skinny ass kid fumbling over his own big feet like no way it was hilarious but anyway so so i I did random stuff like that when i was a kid it sounds like your parents are quite open-minded yeah they're really cool with most of everything i wanted to do I, i mean they're conservative by the oh, book, you know, okay. my, my mom kind of goes with the wind, whatever. But like my stepdad's very conservative. That said, one of my best friends, like, uh, you know, when I go in and visit, it will be drinking until midnight and us screaming at each other about politics. But then big hug, go to bed next morning, coffee, we're fine. So, yeah, my parents have always been like really supportive with all this. Don't get me wrong. I, I think when I graduated high school, they, they had a plan pretty quickly. They were like, well, he's going to fuck that one up. So might as well just do what he's going to do. So, so that worked out. Yeah. I think I remember seeing that you went to a Jesuit high school. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, a that was a Catholic great. school, basically. Yeah. It was a great school. Okay. Um, I mean, it's nothing like Catholic school in the movies. It was, it was just a high school. It was smaller and it focused definitely on academics. And the best thing I can say about it is that first year to stay in the program, uh, you had to pass a world history class. Um, sorry, a world religion class. Mm. So like, yes, it was a Catholic school, but the, you know, if you, know anything about the jesuits they like yeah. really really push academics yep um so so like for me to even pass my first semester at this uh, high school like i had to like take a test that covered islam confucianism i think that's cool yeah. <laughs> you've got kids like that for know, sure you know. so it, it definitely early on you know made me like kind of world religion and my view expanded quickly other than that it was a pretty normal high school speaking of that i don't know if this question is too personal but what about how big of a role does religion play in your life now are you a lapsed uh, Catholic, or are you still pretty? Yeah, you can still see. I say, okay, you I still have, have symbolism. Catholic medallion. There. Yeah, 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 I still yeah. wear it. But uh, I think when I was younger, like the punk scene doesn't exactly embrace uh, religion. Yeah, I was going to say, right. Um, but I've always been kind of fascinated with it. And like I said, you know, even early there, like, you know, we actually had to formally like study it. So I was always really into it. And I've always been very accepting of my friends that are religious. Mm. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. where I, I like some people I knew weren't, you know, they viewed anything that's not an atheist as just you haven't thought about it, you know, that right. it's foolish, but like, you know, 90% of the planet believes in one form of religion or the other. Mm-hmm. So you might as well embrace the idea that it's important to people. Right. And if you want to appreciate the people, you got to respect, you know, at least that they have these values. So that's always been fundamental for me. So like in the punk scene, disrespecting that, I was never too cool with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, we're playing a show here for human rights. And yet we're all pissing on these people just because like, you know, they believe in this other religion that never worked with me. But now, no, no, I mean like with my girl, 
you know, uh, for New Year's, like last year was my year. I was a, a year of the tiger. So we went down to the temple and I did all the blessings and the prayers. Like did the bye-bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went through all of that and, and got into it. And, you know, mm. like, like, you know, I talked to the God, but for me, it's, you know, like the gods all blur together. I kind of believe it at all pinpoints and you're just talking to something. Mm. And, and if that's just boiled down to the word faith, so be it. Um, but then, you know, for like Christmas, she comes with me to Catholic mass and that's pretty much it. We're <laughs> Have you ever tackled that topic or do you think that you might in the future? I'm curious just because, you know, uh, religion also has a lot of symbolism as well. I don't know sure. if you'll continue yeah, along that motif, but. Nope, absolutely. I, I actually, I started it. Um, I had a little offshoot after I started this project where just kind of generically looking at other systems that have sets of symbols. And one of them is I went back to the whole punk rock roots. So I made stamps that were for like the band Seven Seconds, Husker Du, uh, the Misfits, the Descendants. Um, so I made these stamps. So they're, they're, they're like, I think one of those paintings might be online. So, but, but again, like I, I made it and it was just so getting away from what felt important. And don't get me wrong, that's my past and like, you know, it's who I am, but I didn't really feel like there was much to explore there other than mm -hmm. I felt like I was just making pop art. Right. Um, but, but, but yes, I like, I have a couple of like AI files where I've created symbols of like, you know, the cross and uh, you know, the, the, the wheel for Buddhism and like, and I tried it just digitally and I was just, it just, I didn't feel it. Hmm. Maybe, maybe in the future, but, but I don't really, I don't know. Maybe if I go live in a monastery for a while, it'll like, you know, then I'll do it. Right. But, but right now I'm in Taiwan and I want to talk about Taiwan. Hmm. Okay. So speaking of that, I noticed on, I don't remember which, maybe it was a set interview on TV, but I saw some kind of B-roll scenes of you on your Mac playing around with Chinese opera masks. Right. Right. Remember it was like maybe two years ago, the NFT boom hit. And a lot of my friends were jumping into it and I gave them shit because I just thought like, you're just cashing in, like, like make it legit. Um, because I have a couple other friends who their work really is digital. So it has a reason to exist as an NFT as a way of like minting it and like, you know, having a copyright, if you will, mm. it's like, this totally makes sense, but you make paintings. Like, why would you do this? So there's another local artist who I love to death and, but like I kicked him in the balls for this. Uh, so I thought like, okay, how can I kind of address this? So I started making things that should only exist digitally. Mm. So I found all these, like, which is hugely popular, like the Marvel comics, Bart Simpson, Disney images, like anything that was playful like that. And then I put these Beijing opera masks on them. This extra room we have we're, that we're renting out, uh, the theater director, Babu Liao, has been staying there. And he deals with a lot with this. And, then, and so he educated me. I actually didn't know there was a really big difference between Beijing opera and Taiwan opera. Mm. And, and, and it's so cool, the difference, because Taiwan opera really allows itself to dig into like low, low brow, like pop art, you know, like you could go mm. to a Chinese or a, a Taiwanese opera and see like them discussing 7-Eleven or something as a backdrop scene, like where the Beijing opera is very traditional. It was a learning experience for me just kind of toying around with it. So that's what it was. I was using these Beijing opera, like high opera, mm. and then mixing it with like Bart Simpson, you know, like this like low level <laughs> <Right>. pop. <laughs> so I made those actually to be minted as an NFT. And it really just bored me after I made them. They were cool. And, and, and you're right. Yeah, we were doing that interview and that was on my screen when mm. they came in because I was working on that. It felt a little just soulless. Mm. I mean, hell, if somebody wants to buy one, go ahead. But, right, right. But, but it's just like, it's like not how I want to spend my days. Right. How much does the kind of digital realm play into your art process? Or are you pretty much, you like this kind of tactile, old school, you know, be able to feel it and 
Uh, going back to like when I was uh, in the bands and doing that, I used to always make all our flyers. You know, like they always start out like clearly. You remember Kinko's? Yeah, of like, course. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like everything machines. looks like it's a, a letter from like a, a Ramson note or something. Right. You know, it's like every like it's like the band's names are all cut out yeah. and then glued to a piece of paper. That's like the old style of punk, yeah. like with our flyers. But I started doing like, again. This was in my becoming more like a fine artist. Mm. This was like an early stage of that. So like I was like defining paintings like proper like history paintings that I would see would like I would had I felt like was like in tune with the show right <laughs> um so then then I would have like the band's names lined out with like I would create like a new like you know font or something for it was a total waste of time but like <laughs> I got super into it so you're asking me like that so 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 the uh, like working in photoshop mm. became just like I just really like doing it and I like figured out how to use it so yeah so it still plays a huge part actually hmm. um so so like in almost all my paintings there's always a digital part of it not not like you don't know it in the final product right it's just part of the process right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind so, of so the every, brainstorming every time i do a layer i take hmm. a photo upload it into photoshop and then i think about the next layer and i'll play with color theory like that's where you can just run through mm. you know you're like no, whole palette basically exactly. yeah, yeah yeah so 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 that's, oh, wow. that's it's massively important when I was trying to like mess around with more like abstract painting, like that you would think like just zones of blues, like, you know, it's a use. It's like when somebody yeah. doesn't have a painting background and they want to make a painting, that's what they make. Right. So, so it's like, I, 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 mean, I dicked around with that hmm. for a, a while as well, but like you would make those changes on the painting. The painting was, that was your playground. Um, so with this, like, I, I'm not really interested in that. Like I, I want to solve these problems before I come to the canvas. So, right. So, so yeah, digitally I'm using that for my problem solving. Do you think it will continue to play a larger and larger part in the future? I mean, it's hard to know, you know, what the future holds, but, or do you think you will always have this kind of mixed, you know, uh, approach? It's a tool. It's right. a tool. You know, I had the conversation with somebody years ago and they were like, if Da Vinci was alive right now, he'd be using a fucking computer. It's very true. Very so, true. So it's like, the, the, it's a tool. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like uh, for some people, the, the end product looks like it was made with that tool. That's fine. You know, for some people, they make some cool shit that looks like that. Right. Um, but like, I don't really want you to look at it and necessarily think this, you know, was any part of the phase just as like, sometimes I use a compass to draw a circle, but that's not part of the content. And I leave that on there. Like actually one of the guys working at the gallery, he's like, I can see the pencil line here. I'm like, fuck you. I was like, I'm not trying to like hide it. Like there's <laughs> like at no point am I convincing you I can draw a perfect circle with my hand. Right, right, right. Not part of it. But nonetheless, that came up. Uh, are you interested in uh, exploring other genres of art or do you think painting is your really kind of big foundation? For most of us, you know, when you get your BFA, your first two years, they just call it the foundation years and you have to take everything, you know, like I know how to weld. I'm, mm. you know, I did, I made a series of uh, like a cast telephones, like mm. old rotary style. Yeah. And they were called, like it was based on the, the tarot cards. Okay. So oh. they, were, they were called telephones. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Cheesy. <laughs> But, but so then cool, on yeah. each on each dialer, like the rotary, I would paint the symbol for that tarot card. Oh. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I've worked sculpturally before um, mm. and it's fun. It really is. But uh, so why the canvas? Why do you come back to the canvas for you? I'm curious. Yeah, I don't know. I, oh. yeah, you, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it's like, maybe right. so it's like sexual preference or something. Like, I, I know. know. Why? Why do you way. like it? Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I know. And like I told you when I came back from Europe and like I told you, I ran into that, uh, you know, photo professor and she was like you fucking turned into a right. she knew like that was real like she really knew like she knew artist well enough that she could smell she's like you've turned to it like I, that's it right you know right. And, it's, and it's true are there any other kind of topics that you haven't delved into that that you would like to in the future um like han the writer for the taipei times was talking about using more aboriginal imagery Ooh, okay um, so so I, i've gone online and like scanned like parts of patterns of uh, 
garments. Mm. I'm just having a hard time with it. Like just like justifying it. When I was, you know, we were just discussing a few minutes ago, the abstract painting that's just these like color fields. And uh, like, while I don't have much interest in that, this would have been a justification for that. Creating something like imagine something that looks like a Rothko painting, but the actual, like you step back and you're like, oh, that's actually this like Aboriginal, like to me, that would be cool. Because I think I'm kind of, you know, I'm I'm into like the kind of like subverting, like what's going on, you know, it's like, yeah. like, no, like there's nothing happening in this pain. You're like, no, there's a lot going on here. Right, 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 right. So, so, so I would like to, I just, I don't know how to visually do it. Right. And that's why like when Han was asking me about it, I was like, I don't have a lot of info here. It's like, I've, you know, mucked about it and, and it's frustrating me, mm. but, but I would like to, because it, I mean, how can how can I even like have everything that I'm doing about talking about Taiwan and like its identity and, you know, like neglecting the Aboriginal culture here is a huge failure and mm. I don't do it intentionally. Like I'm right. very interested in eventually addressing it. And like I said, working on that mini series and just hanging out with so many people. I'm like, I was really touched by the culture. I just don't have the skill right now right. To, to make it manifested on campus. Okay. So coming soon. Yeah. 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 Hopefully. So. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you mentioned Mark Rothko, who I also love to death, but what about your most inspirational artist? Are there, are there some Titans for you that, you know, kind of have inspired you or really i i just i don't think as a as an adult i don't do it as much anymore mm. like, like i mean I, yeah as a when i was you know studying when i was younger you could walk in and you would see books in the library covered in paint sorry but you know as like because i had like three or four pages open of these like five artists while i was painting these things especially figure painting you know like i was looking at like lucian freud and like these just like heavy paint i was super into that but mm. i don't really look at anyone anymore I, mm. I, I mean maybe there's a failure in that or maybe it's just like i'm just so much far on my own little path here and mm. I, my teachers you know in school were amazing and they put you know the fundamentals in me they did their job so now it's just my turn to run out and make something with it yeah that's I, awesome i read like an interview with eddie vetter um you know guitarist for van Halen, course, yeah and he was saying he doesn't listen to any other guitarist and i just thought that was so fucking arrogant mm. <laughs> but, but there was a part i kind of got it i was right. like 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 his thing is so pure and not that i could be compared to that so what about the early ones then you mentioned lucian freud any other ones like mm. from the early days so the young british artist explosion happened was like 98 99 and that's when I was doing still at the, the tail end of my BFA. So yeah, Jenny Seville's painting of these massive women, you know, she had like body issues herself. Okay. She just was painting these massive paintings of a massive woman and that are just so flesh. So like if you're trying to paint flesh, like you'd have to look at her and I get, you know, so yeah, yeah, I would it's say like that. Botero from Colombia. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, I would say there. And then, mm. you know, that, that's very literal. Like, you know, you're like, he's totally trying to copy like, you know, the paint handling of flesh from these like artists, but then there's the not so literal, maybe just like with color theory, like I said, Joseph Albers and you, like just, mm-hmm. just looking at like how two colors play against each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I haven't thought about why am I not looking you know, I mean, I still go out to museums and I, you know, you know, I have friends who are painting. I think we're all inspiring to each other, mm. but we're, I don't think we're like, we're not feeding off of each other the way we did when we were younger. Like when we were younger, we'd walk into the other studio and say like, dude, you just stole that from me. I right, was doing right, that. And right. they're like, oh, that's cool though. Like, like you, you did it better. And like, you know, like we're all like, just like part of this, but hmm. I definitely don't do that as much now. All hmm. my friends that are artists now are styles or set. We're all right. Something different. Okay. So speaking of that, what about Taiwan's art scene? What do you feel about Taiwan's art scene? It's cool. When I first came here, I think, I think the way I was kind of wording it to my friends, was hmm. like the pretension here was so much lower. Hmm. It's like the artists is like, they were realistic. Where like every one of us graduating from New York, 
we really kind of didn't believe that, you know, you're like, you're going to make it. Shit. Yep. Right. Yeah. Especially yeah. Exactly. New York, yeah. It's you like know. you, you, you kind of like, you almost had to have a chip on your shoulder. Otherwise you didn't look like you took yourself seriously. Right. So it kind of came with it. And maybe I'm just also right at that age where I'm sick of that shit. So again, Taiwan, like I embraced maybe these just more realistic artists. Um, if I was critical of the system here is that it, it is a little inbred. Like a lot of the, like the galleries really support the local artists, which sounds like a good thing, but it's also not as inclusive of what's going on. You know, especially since many of these young artists are looking outside so like you should be also showing more from the outside and I'm going to like contradict myself here in the last few years, I've been seeing it much, much more that a lot of like galleries like Aki gallery and mindset gallery, they're making efforts to connect with other countries. Aki has like an exchange mm. program with Germany. Andre at mindset has been like picking through a lot of these Philippine artists. Like they're looking on the outside, which is brilliant. I commend them. Hmm. Um, but I didn't see that as much definitely when I first got here. Um, and I, I go to every single one of the art Taipei's. So that's been maybe like nine years of that. And I've definitely seen a change. My first mm. year here, it was a lot of waterfalls and koi fish on one mm. side. And then, and then you had contemporary on the other. Um, but then you had, well, then there was some like modern art that, you know, felt like it was from the eighties. It didn't feel aggressive art wise. And I feel like that's really changing. Like this last year at art Taipei was really impressive. I, you, you see that like, they're really thinking about it now. Have you noticed changes in the local Taiwanese artists themselves in the evolution or different changes in mindset or outlook or mm. technique or anything? Yeah, I'm not Taiwan. sure. I mean, I'm, I'm friends with several artists here. I don't know. I, yeah, like I don't communicate with many of the younger artists. You know, like my access to what's going on in the art is limited to what the galleries want to show and mm. what the museums are supporting. And those are two very different agendas. So and, and I respect that a gallery a gallery does not exist to educate the public. They exist to make money. That's just a reality. So like I want to do business with them because I too want to make some money mm -hmm. um, where a museum is there to educate. So they should have a different agenda. It's nice that maybe some of these galleries now are kind of like thinking like, let's look outside. Like, let's like, maybe we do have a responsibility because this is where people are getting educated on what's happening, you know? So, so maybe it is getting mixed up a bit more, um, but I don't know a lot of really young artists, like mm. the kids that are maybe just graduating now, like what they think is hip. Like I have no idea. How about the art business here in Taiwan? Have you noticed any interesting things? Initially, uh, contracts seem more important. Where I, I don't know many friends like in the state, you'd have a short-term contract. Okay. Like you, you'd, you'd have a show, and for three months, anything that sold from that show was still 50% rights to the gallery. Here, those contracts are much longer. Sometimes they want like a full year, which to me seems, in my opinion, nine months after an opening. Somebody, if they're going to buy one of my paintings, they're going to buy it because they probably saw it on Instagram or right. they saw it on Facebook. Like that show probably isn't still echoing in their memory. Right. Um, but I do agree for a few months after, like I give the gallery credit for a few months after an opening. Yeah, if I sell something, they probably did see it in that, in which case the gallery does deserve their, you know, half. Wow. Up to a year. Yeah, like, like I, I don't sign contracts like that. Right. But, but I, maybe I'm given a pass because they assume I'm more on a Western system. So, so that was something that kind of surprised me. Yeah. Um, and I definitely see there's much more of a hold on the artist here as far as interacting and their, their image. The gallery kind of likes to control that a bit more. Um, or in the States, you know, you have, let's say you have a long contract with the gallery, meaning not for necessarily one show, but you have a contract, meaning they guarantee you show every like year and a half. Okay. That type of contract. Right. It's like basically you will not show anywhere else, say in New York City, you have a deal with them. Yeah. That said, if you want to go to Paris or Copenhagen, you can just do your own work. You can yeah. go find a gallery you like. Where a lot of the galleries here, um, if you have a contract with them, they will do that for you or it doesn't get done at all. Mm. You can't go out and find new business. And for me, that's hugely problematic. Right. They become your agent, basically. Right. And you're limited to your agent's abilities. Right. I mean, in some cases, or there's effort. a few artists... You know, some people can really succeed on that, but I don't know, especially with, you know, Instagram and social media and that the artist has more control over their identity now. Mm. They, they can control, you know, like I get random, you know, like emails just from people 
everywhere. Like most of it doesn't manifest, but like, you know, it'll just be this like, hey, what's this? But I have the right to do that. I can do that. Mm. I, I've never had to say, you have to talk to so-and-so. I can't even have this conversation legally. Like, right. I don't have to do that. So I, I think there's something wrong with that. Um, but that said, in talking to a few of my friends that have long-term contracts, they said it's becoming less common. Like oh, a lot really? of the galleries don't want to be bound to some artist because if that artist didn't sell well, True. They're goes both ways. Yeah, they're contractually obligated to show that artist in a year and a half, and they basically are thinking, "Fuck, <laughs> I'm not going to sell something for another month." And the way the gallery works is they have essentially 12 shows a year. That's the math for their like how they make their income. Right. So like one bummer, you know, like that's one twelfth of your income down the crapper. So it's hard. Don't get me wrong. The the 50 that galleries take, if they're doing their jobs, they they totally earn it. They really do. Right. I mean, rent is expensive. They're employing people. I get it. But yeah. some places don't do anything, you know, and like a lot of these artists, they're doing it for themselves. They're in control of their identity. And I don't know. There's nobody like governing any of this. It's, it's a free for all. Right, right, right. Yeah, everyone's trying to figure it out. So for anyone who is interested in going to see this exhibition of yours in Beitou, anything else about any particular pieces, maybe your favorite one or one that you would like to say a little bit more. So we have a little background story of the piece. Uh, I guess maybe last thing we can talk about a lot of people like this painting. It's actually a little bit of an older one. Uh, if you, you'll see a smiley face, bottom row left. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about this. Right. I mean, I, it's kind of touristy to even talk about 7-Eleven in Taiwan anymore. And, and like, it makes me cringe a little bit when we have to keep talking about this. But I made the painting when I first was just, you know, acclimating here to, you know, the city. Mm. Um, and then like... In New York, we kind of hate 7-Elevens because they take over bodegas. So like, it'll be like, you know, a convenience store that's run by a family and they always have their bodega cats. And it's just like this yep, whole thing, it's a whole thing, 7-Elevens take them over and we kind of fucking hate them. And to be honest, their coffee's crap in the States. <laughs> um, so that said, when you come to New York, if you need to take a piss, there's always a 7-Eleven and their coffee's actually quite good here. Right. Um, so these are two realities. I just had to like, I was like, get over yourself. Like you, this is like part of your life. You need this store. Mm. Um, and you know, like, we always say they're ubiquitous. Like you can be in one and you can see one out the window. Like, yeah, you know, you can see another corner. one. They're, again, they're just everywhere. So I, I kind of looked into it. I was like, why are these so pervasive? You can go to their like Wikipedia page um, and it's, it's owned by Japan. So it's like every, Japanese every company. Yeah. It's like every dollar you spend there. It's like 51% is like going back up to, to them. And yep. So, it, so you can imagine at this time when I'm really, my interest politically here is like the, the, the transference of the, you know, the Imperial Japan to the KMT. So to me, that just seemed funny again, that the, like this, like uh, the painting is called corporate colonization, you know? So it's like that people are like, their interests here are still being met financially, you know, right. they still have their hands in the pie or whatever the word is. Right, right, right. Um, so the smiley face is just a reference. Um, so the bags that you would get in the States, they always have a smiley have face. Have a nice day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, has, it says have a nice day. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to have one more reference to the circle for the rising sun to be in the center. So then it just became, you know, it was like poetic. Right. With the imperial Japanese flag motif as well right, in like the background. Bouncing back and forth, replacing like elements of the 7-Eleven logo. So like when I made that carved stamp, it's like I had actually carved like separate stamps that could be like more complex, like laid over each other. Mm. Where normally it's just like a single image. But this one, it, like the 7 needed to be removed. The 11 had to be removed, the, you know. Um, so mm. then, then I could put like the, the, the imperial sun. So those are all stamped. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Then I go, I, I mean, when I said I gave up brushwork, I actually go back into these and I'll brush like on how much I want that image to appear faded or Ooh, not. So okay. I'll like, I'll brush it in a little heavier. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's quite intricate. I mean, you know, there's a bunch of these stamps, right? right. So how long did this take, this piece? Maybe like a month, maybe, mm. maybe. Somewhere okay. like three weeks. 
Okay. Know? I mean, again, they were like the, me thinking about it, you know, I, every single day I drink coffee and I go to one of my two local parks, which is either Dan Park or Chiang Kai-shek. Okay. And I go, I sit, I always read the Times. Like, so you see me, you always see this dude reading the Times, drinking coffee. New York Times. Uh, no, no, no. Taipei, Taipei, Taipei Times. Taipei okay. Times. I'm a local. Okay. Shout out to <laughs> Taipei Times. Right, right. So, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so then I'll just be sitting there also like ruminating, just like trying to figure out what I'm going to do with something and then hmm. Eureka, I run back to my studio. Right. It's never that Epiphany. cool. <laughs> huh. I wish. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 I mean, a huge part of these, you know, and, and, I, and I only say that because in my younger work, I didn't spend near as much time. It was for me, sometimes it was like, I just really, like I, when I was doing figure painting, I mean, this is weird, but our friends, we basically were always like, all right, get naked. I need you to stand in this pose holding this weirdo thing. And right. Like right. that, that was our weekend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so now this is quite different like i really I, you know like again like when you see this there's not another one like this in, this in these images like you know i try to make something that a, it's a unique take on this opinion that i, I keep repeating and but, but i wanted to visually come off as something new because that makes it exciting for me to make mm. yeah i think this one is so interesting because also 7-eleven used to i mean it was originally a u.s company as yeah, well yeah, 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 yeah. yeah from dallas yep. texas yeah, yeah, yeah. right Good and then you. bought out by this japanese company and right, right. yeah and so many things here, like, you know, like all the major, like, uh, large shopping centers here, those are all owned, you know, by Japan. Yeah, The true. Japanese, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying anything about that except for that it's just, you know, it's just interesting. Mm. Like, the complex history of somebody being what someone meant to you at one point, and then in the future they mean something totally different. It's really interesting. I mean, when I first moved here, I knew nothing of Taiwan history. Mm. Even worse, when I would tell, you know, my family where I am, my, you know, dad would be like, so, you know, like, how are you doing in Thailand? Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah, of I was course. like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, so, but, but like, that's, you know, that's what it is, but it's very different now. Like now I just talk to somebody, like I call a friend and I want to talk about nonsense and they're like, what's going on in Taiwan? We just read this thing. Da, 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 da. Like right. everybody knows what's going on now. And, you know, I, and actually I even just quizzed my mom the other day. Just, I just wanted to see, I was like, so did you, uh, did you hear about the, the, you know, the baseball game, you know, the grand slam? She's like, oh, yeah, she's like, oh, we were like, we were damn. like almost crying. It was just beautiful. I was like, it really touched me. I was like, they're more than listening. It's like, yeah, like, I mean, they're a credit to Tsang Wen. She has run a PR campaign on Taiwan that is brilliant. Like she's put it, like it was always on the map, but she's mm. really, really done something. I know what's going to happen. I know. Her term is up pretty soon and I cannot imagine who's going to. You she know. could she could rent we have that extra room she could rent that okay she could just chill with us <laughs> you have a room you have a room <laughs> no no i love her i mean i said this with another friend you know there's a few u.s presidents historically that you admire but in my own lifetime people i voted for i only remotely admire them mm. some i downright loathe um but like mm. i admire the hell out of her like i can't and, and i get why the opposition would take issue with certain policies and the way that they were manifested, like, you know, the way they even came about, like, I get, that's just politics. Like we're always going to bitch, but I, but I just step back and look at what she's done. Mm. And I like, it's like, like I'm genuinely proud, you know, of like who's running this country. Yeah. So doesn't that worry you a bit? Because you know, the, it's going to start ramping up really soon, right? Yeah. The primaries are going to start ramping up. There will no longer be a Tsai Ing-wen. Right. So yeah. No, no, no. How do you feel about that? And, and you have a Taiwanese wife and you're, you know, kind of really putting down your roots here. Of course, there is that geopolitical backdrop as well, right? That's ramping up as right. well. You alluded it to it. That kind of art. changes everything because yeah. in, in like, especially in the States, it's just a tide. It's just like one, you know, four years of Democrats, four years of Republicans. It just kind of goes back and forth and people are basically voting against not being pleased with whatever happened previously. And mm -hmm. then, but then you have the, obviously the dedicated side but there's the, the middle which is pretty massive in the united states 
they just kind of go with whatever they're bummed out by. Yeah, right. like, you guys didn't do what you said, so I'm going to vote this way this time. And I don't know if that's happening here right now, but mm. but but more than like I think it, historically maybe it hasn't been that long that you know you know we could yeah. even see that happening here. Um, but it, it certainly it does happen a little. But but right now, whatever happens, I just you know I, I hope it's taken obviously seriously. Yeah, like, more, this is more than just like their next president needs to make sure imports are higher and that minimum wage is raised. Like mm. there's so much more like at stake right now and Some that's what scares me to deal with yeah so, so you know i have faith in taiwan and if if uh the kmt is put into office like you know i just pray you know like they're going to be worth, do the right thing. yeah yeah like they got elected because they deserve it and they're going to do the right thing so, mm. and i'm not against the party but, mm. but yeah it's troublesome just because i feel like who's like steering the ship right now i don't feel like it's time for her to leave you know like so like this happened with like giuliani after 9 11 like they kind of let him like hang around a little longer because right. it was just inappropriate to like break things up at this point. And like mm. I kind of feel that way now. It's like, this is not a good time. Like, you know, but that again, I'm also not for extending past more than, you know, your eight years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know. Some people like to hold on to power for yeah. a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I know. There's some crazy conferences going on these days yeah. around the world. Parties, parties and parties. They're wild. So Taiwan is your home. Uh, do you foresee it being your home for the indefinite future? Or what is your kind of future plan vis-a-vis uh, -vis Taiwan? I know you're an artist, so you might not want to lock down on, on one particular thing. But uh, what do my, you think? my wife has a degree. She's a, a logisticist. <laughs> she has a degree in logistics. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> and now that we're married, it opens up the possibility of working in the States and making a lot more money with that degree. She's doing that here now, but that's, it's a part of our, you know, you know, our ongoing conversation and I'm real supportive of her. So I, you know, I said like, okay, well, eventually we'll, we'll definitely do this. But I think like what's happening in my career here right now is things are like, they're boiling and it's like, you know, so it's like, I still need to be here for a few more years at least. Um, so I think she's being cool about that. So, uh, but we'll probably head back to the States at some point. But I mean, I'm just, you know, like if, if she wasn't in my life, Taiwan really is my home. Oh, wow. Like it really feels that way. So like, you know, I'd be going back so that she can kind of like fulfill a little part of her dream. Um, and, and, but you know, part of the condition is we could always come back here. Yeah. Um, hmm. Is that her big dream is kind of the American dream or to kind of get away from Taiwan, perhaps? I think it's just somebody who went to like when your degree, what you went to college for is, and I don't mean this, I'm not putting it down, but it's to earn money. Mm. You know, like what I True. did, like it was quite the opposite. They're like, here's <laughs> your degree, make sure not, to not making. Money. Exactly. Um, but hers was. So it's like, I understand that you, you'd want to like flex that and like see mm. what you can do with that degree. And, you know, now there is more she could do. Right. I mean, at no point in our relationship was she ever pushing this so that, she, like, I mean, never. It wasn't mm. until we got married that she was like, you, what do you think about this? But, but yeah, I, and I don't know where I would go because like going back to New York, I just, it's my home. I mean, I, I can legally still vote in New York. I'm a New York resident. Mm. Um, but as far as like paying taxes there and mm. the cost of living, which is just yeah. horrible everywhere. It's so bad right now too. Yeah. I was so depressed over Chinese New Year. I was like, this city is so different. Right. Yeah. I mean, just you're talking about like, even just going to dinner or something. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything about it. There were a lot of empty storefronts. Mm. There were weed shops everywhere, which, you <laughs> yeah, know, I'm my, my very last, open with yeah. that. Uh, I, I have no problem with that, but they were everywhere. And I was like, 
wow, I'm getting conservative as I'm getting older. Right. I'm like, I don't like this. Yeah, I felt the exact same <laughs> way. Like, I mean, literally when I, I got on the subway from the airport, I was like, weed. Like, yeah. you just, it's like it's Everywhere. like a cologne that everyone's wearing. <laughs> yep. Um, and I mean, I, I agree, like, hey, that's cool. It's your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like living here, that's like, I've cut that out of my lifestyle completely because it's such a thing, but mm-hmm. it's easy to do. Like in my youth, that might've been more of a challenge. <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. but like, no, no, I'm cool just having a gin and galleon so oh my goodness when did you get into galleon right away actually really yeah i, I probably say I, was, I was a bit of a liquor snob when i first moved here okay and, and i was a coffee snob that's so like when i made the reference to like sucking it up and just saying i'm gonna buy a 7-eleven coffee right. it's like it's affordable i was like and it's actually like they use different beans here it actually is good coffee i know um Surprising. that said i just wanted to drink the local because it's a really good way to meet the locals mm. so it's like all of my wife's family when they see i can sit down and keep up with them drinking like that, that was their seal of approval they're like we approve of him good yeah gaoliang that's hardcore getting some so, so, so but i drink it western style i, I drink it with soda so so it's Ooh. like yeah like so I'll do two ounces into like a three hundred uh, uh, milliliter, milliliter yeah. of of uh, soda, um, oh. and it's and, and it really it, it changes the flavor it, it, like it opens it up because you're not so overwhelmed by the actual alcohol content right because it's pretty intense yeah 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 so it's like everyone I mean like uh, my wife's mom we drink like that that was our bond like we like she speaks mostly Taiwanese but obviously she speaks Mandarin as well okay um and I can you know manage a little bit not really we can't have deep meaningful right. so it's pretty much galleon. Like it's, you know, it's, it's like she slaps me in the arse. She's like, Jason, Jason. Drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hilda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, really? Is there any connection to Jinmen? You know, the all of the best Galeon come from Jinmen, right. the island, but uh, not no, necessarily no, from no. their family. No, 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 okay. no. No, they're old school Taiwan, though. They're definitely like, they are. Yeah, They've been here. Like I said, Luke, when we, yeah, they're Elanese. Like oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we get on politically. That's a huge thing, you know. Mm. And, and then they've seen how my work is all embracing Taiwan culture. So, like, we've always, their family has been nothing but, like, cool as hell to me. Oh, that's I awesome. Mean, it was the last few years. The dad was definitely, uh, when are you getting married? Like, you know, it was that. Right. Like, I, I didn't have to win him over. He was one. It was now just like, what's taking so long? <laughs> right, exactly. And but, then all the pressure. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, no. It was, it was cool. They're good people. Huh, nice. Okay. So what about Taiwan? Elon, any other favorite places in Taiwan? I really, man, I haven't, this last few years, I just, I haven't traveled. Like, you okay. know, you just stay... Like, you know, Hunkered I think down. it's also erased part of my memory. Um, but, but yeah, my last visits to like Ping Tong, like I was like, if somebody were to, you know, give me a nice little piece of property there, I was like, I could settle down there. <laughs> That's a nice place. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful down there. Do some art down there. That would, that yeah, would be yeah, a really yeah, good yeah. place. Yeah. Taidong, yeah, yeah, Ping Tong, yeah. Yep. I haven't explored that area much yet at all. So, right. It was, it was working on that program that it got all of us down there. So, yeah. yeah and then you just stay for a few extra days. It's so beautiful. Oh. Huh. But yeah, I mean, Taiwan, it's difficult in talking about going back to the States with my wife. There's so many areas that I think like, oh, you know, maybe we could live in these places because it's, a, you know, like a proper city. It has this. But when you, after living here, you're like, we have mountains, we have ocean. It's like, there's just so much like, you know, like geology and mm. just like, just like, there's just, it's interesting. So it'd be hard to kind of go back. Like, I mean, I love my hometown in Indiana, but like, it's just flat. Mm. You know, there's, like, there's not a lot to look at. The Midwest. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What about the rest of Asia? Have you traveled around much? And is there somewhere that if, for example, you had to move out of Taiwan and instead of going back to the States, you were in Asia, which country would you choose? I mean, if we're just talking about like beauty, there's a lot of places that I've traveled. But like as far as like thinking that I could actually continue my work. And so, the, you know, the advantages of like new, exciting, but still I'd like to get up to Japan. Like we've, mm. ta- we've talked about that, but it's just, you know, logistically quite difficult to do. I mean. Really, until doing all this, you know, when I was a kid, traveling was 
easy. You have a U.S. passport. You just kind of do what you want to do. And, yeah. and, and and while that still opens a lot of doors, the idea of just like, oh, you know, like I want to move to Japan. Like you just don't get to do what you want to do. You know, like there's a whole system here stopping you from doing that. So, yes, we will see where it ends up. So I am thinking that we are going to do a little game before we wrap uh, this up. <laughs> this is called fire lightning round it is a list of rapid fire questions should be pretty easy i'm like the worst when it comes to like flashcard like this kind of like you know you want to give it a shot sure <laughs> if i throw this pen at you it means stop <laughs> exactly are you ready sir no <laughs> that's what everyone has said here we go Number one, Family Mart or 7-Eleven? Coffee. That's it. I can tell you with one of my friends, he popped into a Family Mart to grab a coffee. I was like, what are you doing? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number two, Brooklyn or Manhattan? Uh, You know, Brooklyn. It is what it is. I mean, it's like Disneyland right now, but still, it's it's what I know best. Favorite place in Taiwan? There's this moment in Yangmingsan where it's the kind of the north side and the south side of it. And then it's completely different fauna. Like one side of it is like flowing grass. That's, you know, you've seen it's mad. Mm-hmm. Like you, you literally can get lost in the grass. And then the other side just turns into this moss. And I realized, I know, I know like in like Yushan, like, yeah, yeah, you're higher up. It's beautiful. It's like that. It's the most magical thing. I was with a friend there and on the other side of it, it was completely covered in mist. I feel like we made the joke. It was like, we're in like Lord of the Rings coming Ooh. through this. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was, it was just like the, like the dichotomy. Like how I just would like you would just cross this little bump and 30 seconds you're on a completely different like just visually was different beautiful, oh, beautiful. amazing is that Ching Tian Gang yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. okay oh that place uh, is beautiful yeah. okay I almost got killed by a bull out there yeah. that's another, <laughs> another episode like the water buffaloes yeah, like, like yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah, yeah. mocha too mocha <laughs> almost got mocha is almost not here anymore huh. boba or no boba I'm a no boba but my girl's a boba. How and, and dare you? I, I know, I know, no, 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 no. I, I, I would never order Defend it myself. Yourself. I, I would never order it myself just because I just, I don't know, maybe I drink too fast. And that's a health hazard if you're, you yeah, can't you don't drink boba too down. fast. Yeah. That said, um, I went from thinking that it was childish that she drank this to like, I'm I'm hitting her in the elbow. I'm like, hey, hey, give me a little, give me a little. Give, give me a little, little Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so maybe I'm slow on that. It's it's the same thing with like Joe Dofu. Oh. Like, like your, your first like year you're here, like. Stinky get, Tofu. Get me away from it and now yeah yeah, you salivate when you smell that oh wow really yeah me too i didn't like in the beginning but same thing with dorian like dorian the king of fruits yeah now i just that stinky ass my wife she hates it yeah 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 yeah. and when i'm eating it i'll actually blow at her you know i'm like (laughs) yeah yeah love it stench all right favorite country in the world i don't know i really i don't you have to pick one sir I, I can't I, without just sounding like I'm just trying to like kiss ass. It's Taiwan right now. There you they're, go. They're, they're killing it. I mean, they really are. Like, there's moments in U.S. history where you can genuinely be proud. You can say you fuckers stood up for yourself. I mean, you look at, you know, like the American Revolution. Like that was impressive. Like, I mean, they didn't do it like without France. That mm-hmm. didn't. You couldn't have happened. So, but Need you know, like, friends. Yeah, Native Americans, France. Like, that's an impressive part of history, and I think we're living it right now in Taiwan. As a history buff, if you could go back into time. Which time period would you want to travel to and live in? Um, 
that time period, I think, in Germany between World War One and World War Two, where it was just it was like sin and art and like desperation were all like coming together, and it was right before the Nazi fuckheads took over, and it like I mean just created some of the most amazing art was just flooding out of there, and then and again it appeals to me because a lot of the, the art was based off of just like trauma. Next, what is your favorite Netflix show now? So the next thing we'll watch is, you know, Boardwalk Empire. Ooh, Nucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah Nucky Thompson. Nucky Thompson. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then I got to make a side thing here. My girl before, you know, the TV show Band of Brothers came out around 2000, and it's about Easy Company. The, they were part of the 101st Airborne Infantry. That okay. Obviously, again, totally yeah. appeals to me. We've watched that like 10 times, and she she loves it. Like, I, I don't know oh. how I got her to like military drama. Anyways, Success. none of these are on Netflix, so. Right. Yeah. Irrelevant. Okay. <laughs> What is your go-to karaoke song? Don't have it. I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll go on record today and say this. It is humiliation. Um, so I used to say this with my friends when we go, that I was in a band. And like that feeling that people get in karaoke, which is like, you know, you're, you're performing. And mm. most people don't have an opportunity to do that. I was like, I actually did that for years. And I, I thought I really believed that. I call bullshit on myself now. No, now I just think it's fucking cheesy when I get up. And I know no, I love doing it because like nothing's better than seeing your relatives drunk, shit-faced and making a total ass of themselves. So that's why it's great. But, but no, I think, I think I'm just too embarrassed to do it at this point. Cats or dogs? Both. I, I, I always had both. I grew up with the dog and then, but always had cats because just when you're in college, it's easier to have a cat. Yeah, yeah both. Okay. And a huge animal lover. I think when I first came in to meet you and your dog came out and you're like, you cool dogs. I was like, cool. Like yep. I'm like on the floor, like exactly. rubbing bellies. You didn't even say hi to me. Right. <laughs> Sorry, you're right. You're totally right. Mocha. <laughs> Mocha, we love you. All right. Most inspirational teacher in your life? Uh, I had two teachers that are from my BFA, Mark Jacobson and Richard Nicholson, and they are still friends to this day. They were also drinking buddies when I mean, I suppose it would have been inappropriate at that time, but I'm like I told you, when they clocked out of work that day, they they were not teachers; they were artists, and not that like drinking alcohol and listening to jazz is some like part of necessarily being an artist, but it was fucking awesome. And it, and it was nice that they like, they, they saw in a few of us that we were just artists. So like at a real early age, I was getting like respect of being an artist. Isn't being really, really good at something. It's just doing something that you're passionate about. And like, hopefully the outcome is like interesting to look at, but like they, they gave us that credit right away. Literally still Facebook friends with both of them. 25 years. Shout out to inspirational teachers. Right. Hey man. Yes, definitely. Favorite jazz musician? Uh, Bird. Oh, Charlie uh, Bird. So, so at my opening, we played nice. Django Reinhardt. Oh, and like nobody had heard of Django Reinhardt. I have a guest coming tomorrow who's an expert in Django Reinhardt. Yeah, well, Gypsy listening. jazz. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. man. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so really tomorrow. Yeah, and and, and and some people would at the opening they're like, "What are we listening to?" And they're like, "So you're into this?" I was like, "This is actually what I listen to when I'm painting." Oh no way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah huge fan. I, th I think my parents might have played it a little, little. I don't know when it came into my life, but it's like it's my and not to like lessen it, but it's my go-to background music. Like it just makes me happy. Wow, that's that's awesome. What food can you not live without? Bread. I guess I'm a pretty big bread junkie, and I guess I, maybe I didn't know that until I came here, and I became so critical of the options for bread here. And again, I know that's a really Western thing, but it's fair. And here's my defense. I've I've said like when when like Taiwanese travel abroad and they have beef noodle soup, I was like, you're really judgmental on like the 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 QQ, like like the quality yeah, of the noodle. How chewy it is. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, you are totally judgmental with that. So it's like I'm allowed to be judgmental on like the breads here are either too sweet, 
Um, like they don't have a lot of savory bread options and they put shit in everything. Like you're like, oh, that looks really good. That looks like a wheat and like, well, it's got cheese and apricots and in boom. it. Boom. Yeah, you're like, why the fuck is there cheese and apricots in everything? <laughs> and <it's> corn. <laughs> Corn doesn't belong in bread. <laughs> it's a Japanese colonization. Yeah, 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 yeah. It really is. Okay, so street smarts or book smarts? Uh, both, both. I think as a New Yorker, you guys, you know. Most definitely. All right. What is your favorite word in another language? Okay, I can tell you. Uh, I had dinner two or three nights ago with my wife's cousin and lovely couple. They're, 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 they've been living in, living in Vancouver forever, but they're still Taiwanese. So when they came back, I was asking how his business was and he has like a high-end automotive repair store. And he's like, business has been very good. The weather has been so erratic on the West Coast um, that he's like, car damage is really high. And he looks so happy. You know, I was like, yeah, I could see. So then I was like, you know, there's this German word called uh, schadenfreude. Oh, schadenfreude. You know, it's taking delight in others' misfortunes. And he bust out laughing. He thought that was so funny because it was like, it's like, it's like nobody had pegged him for what he was actually saying. I was like, yeah, I know it's good for your business, but like, come on, man. That is a beautiful word. What? has been your favorite age so far? I don't know what, if I'm like you. I, I'm definitely missing my 30s as every day I get up and my fucking back hurts and I have this like field of hair growing on my earlobes. Right. Like, <laughs> what happened there? So, um, and not necessarily, like, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, we all romanticize our 20s because we were invincible and, and like everything was new. I, I mean, I can definitely tell you, moving to Taiwan, like I had been in New York long enough that nothing really felt that new. And while the energy of the city, you can always feed on it, I wasn't as much. And when I came here, I was just feeding and feeding. Mm. Like the energy of Taiwan gave me, it was just so much life. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 20s were great because you were invincible, whatever. But uh, but 30s. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. This is, I mean, I'm 48 now. For those who didn't know. And, you know, I'm married for the first time. And this definitely is a whole new chapter. And I'm excited about it. Like the shared responsibility, the fact that I got around never having kids. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. You made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well done, me. <laughs> what is your hidden talent? I'm really bad at sports. Is that a talent? That I'm, is a talent. I'm like uniquely like bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Egregiously awful at sports. Um, okay. I played baseball as a kid because I really liked it, but I was, this won't shock you, I was more into collecting baseball cards. So, so yeah, yeah, like the, the, the stats, the data, that was super into that. Um, but I tried playing baseball my freshman year in uh, high school, and the coach pulled me aside after one, and he, and like, and he, he was so humbling, just like, he, he's like, Jason. I think we've tried hard enough, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I remember like kind of going home and feeling a little down, but honestly being, I was like, I'm so not into sports. <laughs> All right. That is a talent. What never fails to make you laugh? Oh, I don't know. Seeing acts of like humility, like when somebody does something stupid on the street and they can pick themselves up without feeling foolish. We all do this thing when you're walking down the street and your toe for some reason stum stumbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, I mean, I do it twice a day. But like the, the effort, like how some people can recover from that. With poise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or something I was like, like, but that always cracks me up, I guess. It's a horrible answer, but but like, I, I think just because I actually saw it yesterday and I admired the guys like recoup from it. The craziest thing you've ever done. Oh, I don't. How about the stupidest? I can tell you after okay. around after that bad period in New York history where you probably shouldn't be doing anything on any national monuments, whatever. A friend Ooh. of mine had been drinking all night and we climbed up to the top of the Williamsburg Bridge and just sat up there all night. And that was oh. stupid as fuck, but it was so beautiful and it'll always last. And I don't encourage anybody to do it. Damn. But That's was, epic. It was foolish. I'm not. Yeah, that could have ended in another way. Right. Speaking of ending your life in another way, <laughs> what are three things that are still on your bucket list? Fuck, man. This is <laughs> I don't 
don't know. Can I just, I, I just, I would like to see something like manifested from everything I've done with my life up to this point. Like, is that just, like, is that a cop out to just say that? I like that. Um, it's philosophical. Like, I know when I came here, if, like it was like a new chapter and I know I'm doing this, but uh, I've been so okay with like a lot of my friends that had kids early on, like they were just locked into a life and I've had the opposite. And some of them like said they admired me for this and, I don't know. Like, I'm not looking to have children, but just like, I don't know. Give birth to something. Yeah, 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 maybe. This is such a cop-out. Sorry. (laughs) If I say something remotely profound, he'll go on. (laughs) What do you wish you learned sooner? Play music. You know, that was always part of it. And I taught myself how to play the cello poorly, but like I bought a cello and that was something like all the kids in my family had to learn how to play piano, except for me. The one person in the whole family that genuinely wanted like, you know, musical talent. Um, I kicked my mom all the time for this. I was like, I was like that. It's like you, they stopped, you know, hiring uh, piano teachers when it became to me. I don't know whether it was a financial thing or they just assumed I was super into my G.I. Joes and didn't have time. I'm also the last. And, you know, you've heard stories like in families where there's several kids, the last one, they kind of just say, fuck it. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe I'm a science you know, experiment of fuck it. Right. <laughs> so that might be perfect segue into our penultimate question, the second to last, which is what is a good spy code name for you? Oh, Christ. Something was sir. I guess that's, that'd be the giveaway, wouldn't it be, though? They're like, uh, the, the, the enemy's listening and they're that's like, true. sir, That's not come a on. good spy code name. Yeah, well, unless I'm just really bad at it. <laughs> you know, like the worst spy. Because then you get fired and then you, you, know, you could probably get kind of some kind of a... It's reverse psychology. You just yeah. tell them you're a spy and yeah. then they won't even believe it. Let me just walk backwards out of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final question. Very simple one. What is the meaning of life? Just be good to yourself and other people. You know, everything we're seeing happening like with everything, it's like you just think if people would just mind their business and stop looking at like trying to capitalize on the success of other people and inheriting it themselves. Yeah, I don't know. Be a good person. There you go. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. Smile. That is beautiful. That is a beautiful way to end it. I wanted to thank you very much for coming in here and sharing your stories, Jason. Uh, I hope everyone has a chance to go out and check out his show before it ends. It will end on March 26 at the 99 Degree Art Center in Beitou called To Taiwan. Sure, Taiwan. Thanks so much. Yes. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Have a nice day. Peace.